Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of The Occasionalists, the last episode of The Occasionalists of 2021. Matt Pagel here once again with uh, Mr. Jess Falstich. I mean, uh, Adam Chemilewski. Chema, yes. why, don't you, uh, why don't you fill everyone in there? Yeah, everybody, I um, popped the question. Believe it or not, the Chem dog is now engaged. He is attached at the hip to the beautiful love of his life, Jess Falstick. And that is how I plan on going from now on is Miss Mr. Jess Falstick. That's what I plan it's on going. Falstick? I always say it was False Stitch. Yeah, no, S-T-I. It's, it's, that's how it's um, spelled, but it's pronounced like the stick. Yeah. Fucking white people in your names. Um, I know. But I now know. I know. But now I know. <laughs> Uh, but congratulations, Shama. Seriously, that, that's obviously good news. Um, better news than some of the rest of your trip back home to Cleveland. So, Oh, my God, yes. Yeah. So let me tell you, I'm going to make this really – I had to tell you this, dude. So um, right after the engagement and stuff like that, like I um, I thought, you know, okay, I'm going to stay in Columbus with Jess and everything. I didn't want our uh, – you know, I didn't want to propose and then have to, and then leave that night, you know, so I, I stayed down in Columbus. Um, and then the world gave me an omen the next day. Um, <laughs> and I'm going to get into it. I just, I try not to get too far ahead of myself because there's a lot of this with timing, but, um, long story short is I stayed the night in Columbus, um, after the big proposal and everything, she did say yes, the ring turned out absolutely beautiful. It's a killer ring. We're going to make the social media announcement very soon too. So I drive up to Cleveland. I get up at five o'clock in the morning. I have a nine o'clock flight, uh, flight gets canceled. Um, have to get all my stuff, big scramble to try to find another flight. I do find one in Columbus at 11 o'clock. It's a red eye. It'll be like in LA and then, you know, like in the middle of the night, basically. Mm -hmm. Drive all the way down to Columbus. Um, Jess comes and picks me up, does me a huge solid there. We go back to Columbus, hang out at her parents' house, go to the airport. I am on the fucking plane ready to go. And guess what? We have to deplane because they can't figure out the weight of the plane. And then people are going to be cutting into their hours mm -hmm. and all this other crap. So we have to deplane at like, this is late in the night now. We're talking after, close to after midnight and stuff like that on um, Sunday the 26th, right? Uh, Jess and her dad come and pick me up at the airport. It's like 1.30 in the, it's 1.30 in the morning. Um, she did me a solid and like um, got on the internet with kind of did some messaging back and forth with Spirit. And she got me a ticket on another flight, which was out of Cleveland the next day at like 9.15 in the morning. So uh, get in the car around like 1.30, go back to uh, her place get like another two hours of sleep up again at six go back up to cleveland now for what is about to be my second flight okay i say goodbye to jess and her mom i go into the airport and it is an absolute fucking shit show mess okay we're talking the spirit line is jam-packed with because they've had flight cancellations there are faces that i recognized from the previous day that were on the cancel the flight that i was on that got canceled and i'm walking around i'm like walking up and I'm just trying to figure out what's going on, okay? And, like, somebody is yelling at me to, like, get the hell into the back of the line. Who is the person yelling at me? None other than freshman football coach and technology teacher extraordinaire Mike fucking Zabo is yelling at me. He's the only guy in the crowd with a mask. He's got his mask down yelling at me and everybody yeah. else yeah. to get back in the line and stuff, you know? So, uh, so I saw, so Mr. Zabo all of a sudden makes an appearance in the story and stuff. Right. So, um, he, 
I, he kind of disappears. I didn't really see him too much after that. Uh, there was like looking like there's no chance that I'm going to get on this um, flight. This, this basically the second time in Cleveland flight. And I am way far away from the counter. There's running out of time. I got like 20 minutes left. And in this 20 minute with that I had left, the spirit people decide to like anybody who's going on the LA flight can move to the front of the line. Okay. So where I'm at in line, kind of all I had to do to get to somebody was kind of step through these kiosks. Like they have these automatic kiosks that you use to like print your boarding pass and stuff. So like I kind of stepped through these instead of going around like everybody else did. And some guy, not Mr. Zabo, but another guy starts yelling at me and was just like, Hey, why the hell are you cutting? Blah, blah, blah. Right now these two women, um, which I guess like the, I don't necessarily want to call them that because they did me a solid here, but I guess they would be referred to as Karen's. They, um, they thought that this guy was yelling at them and these two women started going to town on this guy. There was a major like verbal exchange between this guy and the two Karens. Right. And I'm at the boarding, you know, I'm trying to get up and get my, uh, get my, boarding pass and kind of check my bag and stuff. And like, I realized I need to get a little bit more time out of this. So I turn around to the two Karens and I do like one of these, like you fucking tell them girl, like with the, the arm gesture and everything that escalates them. And they just keep tearing into this guy long enough for me to get out of line and get down to the baggage claim. And then to just basically to make it short, I sprinted all the way to the airport. I got very lucky or the, the gate. I got very, very lucky. Somebody, did not show up to the flight and I was able to use my standby ticket because I didn't have a seat. I had a standby ticket to get on the flight to come back to Cleveland. So it was a wild ride, but I made it Jess, <laughs> she had flight cancellations too. I mean, it was an absolute shit show mess trying to get home, but, but we made it and we're back here in Southern California as an engaged couple. There you go. All right. Yeah. <laughs> um, that was not a long story short, but um, it was just a long story. Yes. Um, yeah. But yeah, I tried no, was, to condense it in there. Yeah. It was, there was, uh, a, it was a mess, and of course, Mike Zabo would. Where do you think Zabo was going? You know, I had no idea. It was it was not in Los Angeles because he wasn't on the plane. No, so. no, no. But not not like not like where do you, where do you think he was going? I had no idea. Like, My guess is it, like Boca Raton. That, oh, yeah. I'd that feels so like too. a yeah. place that Zabo would be now. You know, that makes a lot of sense because there was, I don't know the specific city, I just can't remember it, but there was a Florida flight leaving from the Spirit Gate. So, like, the, the corner of the airport where all the Spirit like gates are, there was a Florida trip going out of there. So, he might have been going to that. That's it, a good he's, point. He's, well, he's either, he's either Boca or he's Jacksonville. Like, yeah, one of the two. <laughs> that, that's, like, that's one of the two. Either way, Zabo, we just didn't know it at the time. Zabo was Florida man. Just happened to be living in Ohio. He's. We're going to read about him one day, like, getting his arm bitten off by an alligator. And of course. It's, it's going to be Zabo. I would not, I dude, I would not doubt it. And, like, it was the weirdest thing in the world because I had to do, like, a double take. And I was like, no, that is him. And he had, like... His, his wife, girlfriend with him and stuff like that. And I'm just like, this is totally fucking Zabo here yelling at me in the middle of the airport. Just, yeah. just, to, just to double check you, was she like um, a blonde Barbie looking woman? That is exactly what she looked like. Yeah, yes. that, that's his girlfriend of recent years. 
Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. So like those two, and it, it just like stuck out like a sore thumb to me. And like, I, I'm telling you, you could have asked me, Hey Adam, name a hundred people that you could potentially run into in the airport. Mike Sable wouldn't even have been a thought in my mind. Nope. Not at all. But there he is. He, I forgot. I, I want to say I saw him like three years ago someplace. Okay. And man, like I, I, whenever, whenever he stops taking steroids, he's just going to deflate. And yeah. He's going to be, you're going to like realize like how small he actually is. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I mean, what is he? Probably five, six. Yeah. He's a, he's a Maybe. smaller in height guy. Yeah. yeah. He's like probably like five, six, but he's ever bit of like 230 pounds of just fucking, mm-hmm. just fucking chewed up steroid meat. Um, whenever he, whenever he stops taking steroids, he's going to deflate and he's going to look so small. Oh, I believe it. Like he was looking a little bit smaller than he did when we were in high school and stuff, but there's still like, you know, that steroid meat on his bones. And like when he is older, it's just not going to look good. Like there's going to be a lot of kind of things going together on that body that just shouldn't be meshing and falling apart at the same time. Right, right, right. All right. We're into our 2021 year in review episode as we, as we do every time this year. Uh, So let's kick it off with a little, with a little lightning round question, Chema. Uh, I put it to you here. What do you consider the pop culture moment that best sums up 2021? Dude, it's the Bernie, for me, it's the Bernie Sanders meme. And like, I, that had a lot of longevity, at least to me, because I was making Bernie Sanders' face for like the last two days. And there is something about the way that he looks in that photo that just kind of, I think, summarizes my entire like emotions about some parts of this year and everything where the picture was taken on what should have been like a glorious day. And you know that like, like Bernie's not like, you know, sitting there utter, just mad at the world, but he did have this kind of grumpy look on his face. And like this year, I know we all should have, things like seem should have been like a lot more positive with certain things, especially with the virus. And my face is just kind of making the same as his, where it's just like, what the fuck, man? Like a year later, and it feels like we're to a certain degree in the same position we were last year. Yeah, yeah. I think um, I think anytime we get to bring the Bernie Sanders meme back up is is always a good piece of conversation. Um, but yeah, it is sort of it does feel like a full circle kind of meme that we're like if. I don't know. I don't know what would prompt Bernie Sanders to sit in a chair uh, next January or <laughs> in a couple of days. Um, but you know, like it would it would be kind of appropriate if if there was a Bernie Sanders meme to kick off twenty twenty two. I hope so. Like I I wouldn't mind that actually. I think we could use a shot of some uh, some Bernie memes here. So a nice shot of some kind of yeah. optimism. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So I'm with you on that one. I went a different direction, and it's. I, I, I don't know this this kind of feels like this is this was inevitable but okay. did you know that America's health and culture guru is in fact Joe Rogan that if you need a medical question answered if you need if you need a medical question answered about any medical topic it doesn't even matter if it's a pandemic or anything else Joe Rogan has the answers um, did you know that if you feel like you're losing a culture war Joe Rogan has the answers. Joe Rogan is, in fact, the most important person in America. I don't know if you knew this or not, but he is. And it is. I'm embarrassed for our country that we take someone like Joe Rogan seriously. That there are people that, without even, without even being ironic, when Aaron Rodgers um, was talking about his, his immunization, you know, his whole kerfluffle the last several weeks, 
about him being immunized or not immunized or, you know, the definitions therein. And, like, without even, like, a, even the, the least bit of hesitation, he name-dropped Joe Rogan as, like, a source of information. And mm-hmm. that is fucking terrifying to me. Joe yeah. Rogan, A, doesn't know shit. B, he makes up shit. C, he presents a completely alternate reality um, than, than, than the actual reality of things that are happening. And people just follow, follow him very blindly into this kind of shit and it's it's really fucking depressing i have i have no problem with joe rogan the entertainment person the the podcast host when he has on you know various actors other pop culture people but like when you are when he is now the source of information of legitimate information for like real problems that bothers the fuck out of me oh and you have every single right to be bothered to be agitated to be enraged over this and I got to tell you, this is really fucking pissing me off, too, with this Joe Rogan stuff. And what I was exposed to back in Ohio, as far as like people's thought processes, and I had been around people, I guess to say the least, that had referenced Joe Rogan um, while I was back in Ohio. And it's just very disturbing. And like, I, I don't know, like, why people have just like, all of a sudden, all these experts are, you know, wrong and people who have no knowledge about these subjects are right you know and i I believe i'm aware it's like just people being told and what they want to hear and all of a sudden that person is great but i it it just enrages me dude and like it's this sickness that is crippling our country is crippling our society and there's already people that have suffered because of misinformation because of listening to people that they want to listen to instead of the experts. And it doesn't show any signs of stopping anytime soon. Nope. The, the closest, the closest thing we can hope for is, um, Alex Jones was found, uh, was found liable in his, uh, defamation in the defamation yes. lawsuit, the Sandy Hook parents filed against him. He's right. found liable for damages. Like that's like a good step. But mm-hmm. last time I checked, Alex Jones is still on the, you know, on the internet, spouting stupidity i won't it it, like until he's literally bankrupted it it won't stop you know what i mean like it it, like until someone one of these fucking people who are distorting objective reality until one of them is completely wiped out and bankrupt there is no reason that i'll stop so like until someone sues joe rogan for successfully sues joe rogan for like a hundred million dollars like he won't stop just being a fucking moron Right. Oh, exactly. And then, like, the thing that is really scary is that as soon as he is gone and bankrupt, there'll just be another person that comes along and takes his place and stuff. And, like, we're basically relying on bankrupting one person after another after another to try to bring some kind of normalcy to this discussion. Or, But that's difficult, man. That's like, And then as soon as those people are gone, somebody else comes up and stuff. It's just like it feels like it's a real uphill battle. And there's going to be a lot of people like a lot of people out there that, you know, are listening to this that suffer consequences as a result of it. And it, it could mean financial stuff. It could mean their actual life. And it's 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 a problem. And it's really it's a real fucking problem, bro. Yeah, I just I now just cut the cord on a conversation. If someone mentions something from a Rogan podcast, and I'm mm-hmm. like, I'm like, mm, no, nope, not going to continue down this fucking road because everything's about to get real dumb. Yeah, no, I don't blame you. And that's exactly what you should do, because um, these people and some of these discussions that I've even had throughout the course of my winter break are 
they are lunacy. It doesn't even borderline on lunacy. It is actual fucking lunacy, man. And, uh, and the way that these people defend this stuff, that's even more scary. <laughs> like, it's just like, Oh wow. You really bought into this, didn't you? Yep. Yep. Um, well, I don't know. We'll see. I, I just, <clears throat> like at some point, and this is the last thing I'll say on this cause we got to move on. But at some point, like these sort of, whether it's Joe Rogan, whether it's uh, Q QAnon, whether it's um, Alex Jones, it doesn't really matter. At some point, like these these things, these sort of movements and these people leading these movements have to just like run out of steam. At some point, like at some point, like you can't like as they continue to be proven wrong, as things don't happen in the case of Q. Or in the case of Alex Jones, people are finally... A court says, yeah, by the way, you can't do what you've been doing. Like, at some point, these things have to run out of steam. I just don't know... It's just very hard to see where that point is right now. No, I gotcha. I don't, I don't know where it is. And, like, they always get to go on offense. Some of the stuff that these people predict does not happen at all. Actually, probably all of it that they predict doesn't happen. And it's just like, oh, okay, yeah, we're just going to give them another shot. They'll be right the next time. Like, how many next times are you willing to give? Because as a person, for me, I would have jumped ship a long fucking time ago. Like, I, I think maybe the first time Trump was supposed to just be inaugurated back in office, I would have jumped ship. Mm-hmm. But no, no, something happened, and oh, this happened, so we're just going to kick the can down the road till the next time we're wrong. And then the next time we're wrong. Yeah. And then, hey, we'll still believe it. Uh, we'll see what happens in 2022. Here's to hoping. Yeah. Um, I know, right? <laughs> yeah. Let's move on to, I'm calling this little section, recent cleanup. Just anything you forgot to mention very recently in the podcast. Um, something you forgot to mention or just anything else like you, like maybe, I don't know, maybe you like you presented a fact that was incorrect or whatever. Something you just like, want to clean up recently. Like, oh, shit. I'm, I'm sure that I have presented something that was incorrect. I can't think I'm, of I'm sure between the two of us, there's a lot of that. Yes, yes. I can't think of anything off the top of my head. The one thing that I guess that I would I would want to straighten out if I could go back in time and that I would do over again was like I want to rearrange my um, letterbox trilogy and get rid of the video dead. While we did turn that conversation into a fun conversation and like I love talking about a bad movie, I um, that should not have been there in the first place. So we were lucky that, you know, our conversation, stuff like that, just it was good to kind of you know, beat this horse with you and stuff yeah, with, a, yeah. with a baseball bat. But um, if I could go back in time and, and straighten it out, I would um, do something different. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you, but it wasn't like we, we did have a good conversation about it. Like that, that's yeah. the thing. And actually, I think more so than anything else, it kind of was like, it was really interesting because I now feel like that movie, that movie would be in better hands with you and me than, um, I can't remember the director's name now. You might, you might still remember, but I can't remember his name. It would be in better hands with you and me. Like we clearly had better ideas. Yes, we definitely did, dude. Yeah, that is for sure. So other than, other than that, like I'm, I would be safe to assume that there were some things I got dead wrong and, um, I do apologize for those. Uh, whatever. i we both did. I, I, I know that we both did. So like, that's not like a. It happens. Like, if, sometimes it's just getting a name wrong, getting a date wrong, whatever. Mm-hmm. That fucking happens. I'm not too worried about that. Um, but yeah, yeah. Which and Do you have any, off the top of your head, if you can, what would you have swapped um, Video Dead with? I was actually thinking about going more of, like, a techno-horror thing. So, like, I did like the idea of Chopping Mall or this Demon Seed movie. Because Demon mm. Seed is based off of, like, a Dean Koontz book. and like It's, it's an interesting Demon- movie, actually. Yeah, and, like, Dean Koontz, like, um, when I was a kid and stuff like that, and every kid, like, at least I would think every kid goes through this 
point in time where they're maybe kind of interested in horror fiction. Mm. So I read um, some Stephen King. I read a Clyde Barker and I read some Dean Koontz books. And like, I just keep forgetting that like Dean Koontz is out there and this dude's wrote like a lot of goddamn books and um, having something to talk about uh, movie wise based on one of his stories, I think would be cool. Cause we've done like, you know, Stephen King stories and stuff like that in the past. He kind of, <clears throat> Dean Koontz kind of had the unfortunate, um, the unfortunate timing of being of sharing a, an entire, you know, two and a half decades with Stephen King. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like he was also popular in the seventies and eighties book wise. I mean, and, but like his, even though he's had plenty of things adapted for movies, I mean, pl- I mean, dozens probably, or like at least a dozen. Um, he just like, it's sort of like, well, there's Stephen King and there's kind of everyone else. And right, Dean right. Koontz was a part of the everyone else, even though again, he's like, a very prolific writer himself. Um, he just had like, if he was, uh, if there was some, if Stephen King didn't exist, Dean Koontz might be Stephen King. Exactly. That is a great way to put it. Exactly. And stuff. And I've always, I've always kind of respected this guy. He's had a lot of longevity as a writer. The dude's written an abundance of material, but you know, you're, it's like having to go through Stephen King every single time or like go through Alabama to get to a national title and stuff. Yep. Like it, there's just this juggernaut that's ahead of you or not like or selling more stuff or more popular than you. Yeah, exactly. He is the he's the Mark Price of uh, <laughs> of well, really you could say that about anybody in the East in the 90s and the, even into the 2000s versus uh, versus Jordan. So right. right, um, exactly. Yeah. yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. Uh, good, no, good, good choice though. That uh, I, I'm telling you right now, Demon Seed is worth a watch anyway. Not like mm-hmm. clear your schedule; you got to check this movie out. But like, if you are interested in a very, if you're interested in early techno horror, it's mm-hmm. a really good early techno horror movie. Very, very nice, dude. Hell yeah! All right, um, I, I have two things here, and I'll I'll start. Um, I'll actually start with uh, our fright fest stuff too. Um, I totally forgot to mention, and I. <laughs> I kind of made the I kind of made the promise that I would I to this person in particular, but I totally forgot to mention that like um, after after we did my episode where we covered the Morehead and Benson trilogy, the the Red Flower trilogy, I totally forgot that uh, that Vinnie Curran was like one of the people that uh, uh, Chris was one of the people that like reached out to like say some stuff like positive stuff to us via Instagram and. Uh, I forgot what what exactly what he said was. I, I didn't. I don't have the post up here right now. But basically, that he. Oh, I. I you know what it was. I said um, in, in the clip that I had up that when we were talking about Chris, I said, "I'm like, yeah, you know, Vinnie Curran does a really good job as Chris. Um, it's not like he's he should win an award or anything for this performance, but he does a lot of really good acting from from lying on a mattress, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, Vinnie Curran chimed in with like, uh, actually, I did win an award. Uh, my mother voted me best actor in in resolution or best actor in a horror movie from 2012 (laughs) or something like that and it was pretty funny and then aaron moorhead popped in to say um are you sure that you're are you sure that you won that award and and vinnie kern's like fuck you're right my mom gave it to peter solella um (laughs) and then so like vinnie kern and aaron moorhead were kind of going back and forth so i was just like chatting with vinnie kern about like a little bit about the movie and i said like you know i'll make a correction about you being an award winner actually for uh for your performance in resolution and like what like i mean what i really like about this is that and we kind of we as we found out like or as i found out from like when we did the short film festival the smaller the movie the more likely that these people are to like give you a thanks to say mm-hmm. awesome that you're into this um interact with you which i mean obviously they don't have to at all 
but it does like show that like when when you're talking about like projects that are literally total in cost like fifty to eighty thousand dollars, that these are like these are almost like their children. That mm-hmm. they're they're so attached to them because they're it's you know it is sort of it's very scrappy I guess is the way to put it. And so like any you know like it must be like really nice to hear if you're like a Vinnie Curran or an Aaron Moorhead. Events or any of, the, any of these other people involved with these types of projects, it must be really nice to hear that, like eight years, ten years later, um, you know, one of your movies is still resonating with people. That is fucking awesome, dude. I did not know that, and I'm really happy to hear that, man. I think that that is cool. And hell yeah, if I was somebody, if I was a filmmaker, anything like that that that's made something, I would be fucking happy as hell that um, years after the fact, somebody was making was watching my stuff and had great things to say about it and did a podcast episode about it. Like that would make my fucking weekend. I'm, I'm so happy to hear that. That's awesome. Yeah, for sure. Vinny, Vinny seems like, and like a lot of his friends were chiming in on it too. Vinny seems like, um, I guess if you took, if you took Chris down several notches, I have mm-hmm. a feeling that Vinny Curran is like that. That's fuck. You're probably right on that, man. And like, God damn, but that is so cool. Like what a, what a bunch of cool guys to do that stuff. That's really awesome. For sure. For sure. So there, Vinny, there's your shout out, um, uh, award winner, um, uh, or award winner from, from 2012, according to his mother. Um, so Vinny Curran's getting his shout out on the ever important occasionalist podcast. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but seriously, it was, it was really cool of them to, uh, to, to chime in and have a little discussion about the movie. Um, one other thing, Chama, I actually did. I actually do think we can do. I mentioned before that um, one of the ideas I had for next year was to do a month where we, where we focused on plays. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we can do. I actually think we can do plays. Um, we just have to provide the voice track, and then figure out a way to then either we either reanimate it, do some uh, you know do some stop motion animation or some like crude like figuring animation to to then build the scenes yeah dude i i think that that's awesome that's a great idea i love the stop motion animation thing like i i think it's a really cool like project and cool kind of thing to do and stuff like that i love it it's great well we'll see it's just one of those things i'm like i'm like yeah you know we could do this it would it would be tacky but like you know we're tacky so it works right exactly yes exactly that's fucking great i think that's a cool idea uh, we'll see, uh, you know, like as you know, we obviously we have like plenty of, we haven't even recorded an episode for next year yet. Um, so like we have plenty of time like to figure out like how we can like implement it or whatever. But I, I think it's something just to keep, keep, uh, keep in the back of your mind, um, for like when we, when we do, um, you know, when we do decide to do something a little bit different. Mm-hmm. I will keep that in the back of my mind, dude. That's a cool thing to get going for sure. All right. How about, um, how about a distant cleanup? Anything that like. You know, when you think about all the episodes over the past year, anything from early on that you just maybe you wanted to bring up, it, it just you never got around to it, or just something that you thought about for whatever reason you just thought about that, that we did earlier in the year that you wanted to continue or whatever. Okay, well, like I do have one thing, and I had multiple opportunities to bring this up, and um, I noticed that this year you and I did not talk about our predictions for the Ohio state Michigan game. And ever since mm. Jim, Har- ever since Jim Harbaugh has been a coach in Michigan, you and I have done at least one exchange about who's going to win the Ohio state Michigan game every year. I argue that it's um, 
better for the sport in general if Michigan takes one of these games. Every year you are appropriately right, saying that Ohio State is going to trounce them. This is the one year that we didn't have the conversation, and Michigan ended up winning. <laughs> it was our fault. It was our fault, everyone. It was you're, our fault. You're welcome, um, Wolverine Nation, everybody. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, you're right. I guess we didn't. Um, and... Boy, I really here's what I'm really hoping that they don't go and embarrass the Big Ten tomorrow. Oh, I know. Oh, I know. Like, I like I'm either it's either going to be a blowout on on behalf of Georgia or Michigan is going to pull like a random play at the end of the game or something to win it. And I just am hoping to God that it's not a blowout. And like, I just, it's just going to be, you're right. It'll be like outright embarrassing. And then it'll just be one of those things where like, Hey, well, maybe you guys should just have Ohio state in there. Ohio state would give them a game. And then we're basically back to square one because it doesn't solve the problem of getting more teams into the college football playoffs, mm-hmm. you know? So I, I, I'm, I don't know what I'm expecting out of Cincinnati. I will be a hundred percent honest with you. Like I am just, I don't even know what to expect, but like with Michigan, just, at least give it a game and stuff. Don't go out there and just totally shit the bed and stuff. Like that's, that's the yeah. only thing I could ask for. Yeah. Um, Cincinnati lost to Georgia last year on a field goal. So not, not say, I mean, it's basically the same team um, that mm-hmm. Cincinnati's coming back with. So not saying that that's necessarily indicative of what's going to happen, but like Cincinnati's not playing out of their depth whatsoever. Right. Like, and like at all, they've lost one game in two years. So like they're yeah, not playing out of their depth. Is is it wrong that I feel that Cincinnati has a better chance to beat Alabama than Michigan does Georgia? And I like I that's would just agree the that. way the way I feel. Like, and um, I, I that's what like if anything, just go out there and kick Nick Saban's ass. If you're going to do anything tomorrow, like I would gladly take a uh, even though like I I do would want Michigan to win as a to get a Big Ten appearance in the national title. It's just better for the Big Ten. But I am definitely rooting for Cincinnati to kick the shit out of um, oh, yeah. Alabama. Oh, I'm I'm I am cheering for Cincinnati. Period. Like <laughs> it, it's if they if they if they manage to win this game tomorrow, that would be fucking fantastic. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm cheering for Michigan because I. I just don't don't give a shit about Georgia, Alabama, mm-hmm. whatever. I roll. I'm, I'm done. You know. Okay, great. Yeah. And like, there's no scenario. Like, it is better for the Big Ten if Michigan gets into the championship. But like, I'm not sitting here like, come on, blue. Yeah. Let's right, go, yeah. blue. Fuck yourselves. Right. Yeah. 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 I don't even like. I don't even know if I'll watch all of the game. Like, if it's a, if it's a blowout, then I'm out by. Oh yeah. Like, I'm out at halftime. Yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um. That's a really good point. Um, I'll 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 pick up here. Continue with the sports thought. We never thought of a name. For whenever we do a sports show, we said we're gonna do like a we're gonna format it like a fake sports radio show. We got to think of a name for that. Uh, before the, you yeah. know, we don't do it right now, but like we got to think of a name for our fake sports radio show the next time we do do a sports episode. Gotcha, gotcha. I'm writing that down. I brought my uh, notepad with me. Think of name for a radio show. Gotcha. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's, it's just it's just funnier if like it, it, like I'm, I can picture how the whole show is gonna go, and it mm-hmm. would be very funny if we could sort of almost like stay in at least for part of it, stay like in character while we do stuff. Oh, of course, definitely, dude. I think that that's another fun kind of different thing to do and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, and just another thought here, I. We never followed up, at least I never did, I never followed up with Jack after our Jack PSA. Oh, um, you know something? I'll be honest with you. I didn't hear from him for like three months, and then out of the blue, he had messaged me um, 
just like a hey how you doing so like i don't know if he heard it i didn't ask him i didn't want i was like oh at least he's, he's talking to me now so like <laughs> at least it's good so um i didn't know if he heard it or if he didn't hear it because like it was weird because like i was talking to him quite regularly and then we did the little psa darkness for months yeah then out okay of the, then yeah. out of the blue it was just kind of you know hey how's it going adam blah, 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 blah. now we message like I think once a week now. So like, yeah, so I, I'm assuming, I, I'm assuming maybe he did, but I can't actually say that for sure. Okay. Yeah. I, it was one of those things like, like I was fully expecting like a, like on the, on our, on our Facebook page, um, you can find the, you can find the occasional side of Facebook. Um, I was fully expecting like a haha, very funny, like whatever guys could be, you know, don't be, don't be jackasses guys, whatever. And it was just like nothing. I was like, Oh, did we like mortally, did we like mortally wound Jack's ego? And uh, like, like, I hope, like, I hope he knows we're joking with him. Yeah. Oh, I was expecting death threats to be read in like a devil sounded voice like this. Like that's what I was expecting. And like, I'm, it was weird because like there was just a lot of communication between the two of us and then nothing. Like I was like, Oh, it's like maybe I did offend him. He's like, those mother- it, it's the, it's the Billy Madison scene where like, where, you, where you guys start talking and he crosses us off the list. Yeah. The kill list. That's, that's right. As if I wasn't already on that list a couple of times. <laughs> right. No. And if, and if and anyone out there, in case you're wondering, one of our, our one friend, Jack. So like, I know, when I when we post an episode, I know the exact moment that it goes live on Facebook, um, and our friend will our friend will comment usually like after the you know after the episode posts, they'll make a comment about it, and some of these comments follow like like let's just say the episode posts at like ten a.m. Like a comment will post he'll post a comment like eight minutes after that, like right. oh my god what a great episode you guys you guys fucking killed this episode, and I'm like thinking like how did you listen to two hours of an episode in eight minutes. And and understand it if you did actually manage to do that. So we made it. We made a PSA about Jack slowing down and like enjoying the episode, in case you guys are like totally lost there. Yeah, and slowing down is not necessarily something this kid is known for. So just nope. to give that out there for everybody. Nope, not at all. <laughs> all right. Any uh, anything else here that you that came to mind? Uh, just that I want to straighten out the fact that I was completely wrong about Baker Mayfield and everything, and um, I. Once I apologize for that. <laughs> didn't accept that. Didn't see that one coming. Yeah, I, I still, I like. I'll say this. I don't. I don't think that you. I don't think you're gonna be. I don't. There's. There's no way. If I was. If I was running the Browns. If I was Andrew Barry, um, running that side of the Browns. There's no way I'm giving. I, I, I'm giving Mayfield anything more. Well, they already picked up his fifth year option, so like that doesn't really matter. But. Mm-hmm. there's no way that I'm coming to him with like a five-year contract. Like there's just, no. there's no way, but we've also seen him play a lot better than this. And mm-hmm. I don't know. My guess is that he's somewhere in the middle, which means he's probably somewhere in the middle of the league, middle of the pack in terms of quarterbacking. But like, even at his worst in 2019, he was not this bad. Right. No, he was not, not at all. This is like, a completely different Baker. And like, look, like I know the guy's hurt and everything. You don't have to Baker. You don't have to sell me on how tough you are, but like, it's just like, I don't know what the blame is. Is it the injury? Is it just like, does he just is a different Baker? Like, I don't know what the hell is going on here. And, um, it was a lot more disappointing of a season than you and I were anticipating. Yep. But they can still win the North. <laughs> they still can. So Which still blows they my still mind. Can. I know um, that is like insane. Yeah. <laughs> it still blows still my mind. It, it sort of, <laughs> I like here's this is sort of my my 
sort of grand encompassing thought on Baker Mayfield that he is and like one thing is very clear his lower body was much more hurt than they were letting on for a while because the last couple mm-hmm. of games they've done bootlegs and stuff and it's like oh he can run I forgot yeah. like he could actually move out of the pocket but I, I do think that, that shoulder is causing him issues um, I mean you know even though it's not his throwing shoulder go ahead and remove your arm from the throwing motion and tell me how accurate you are so I I think that I think that what it is is that his, his shoulder issues are causing him accuracy issues, and he's still trying to throw it as if he wasn't injured. So it's like, it's injury plus bad judgment combined. And that's what we're seeing. Yeah, definitely. I see where you're going with that, dude. And unfortunately, the season is... Um... The season's suffering for it, you know, and like I like look like I could appreciate Baker like, hey, it's my fault. I screwed up. I need to get better. But at some point in time, get better, bro. Yep, I I agree with you. I agree with you. All right, let's let's move on Chema, to our bread and butter. Uh, we're going to cover movies, TV, sports, kind of general pop culture and just a, a little wild card section here to fill in whatever 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 you want to fill in here. But uh, we're just going to go through like our most interesting or favorite things. Uh, in each of these categories from 2021. So um, let's just go right down the list, Chum. Let's just start with movies. Why don't you kick us off here? Man, my movie for this year, I love Dune, man. Like, I know we did a whole episode on it and stuff, and I absolutely loved it. I, any movie or any type of piece of visual entertainment that then goes out and inspire me to read a book or read the source material, it's it's worthy of being a top of my list, dude. And I've, I've watched it. Since we've done the episode, I'm still enjoying every minute of it. I'm looking forward to the sequel. I even read, like, or didn't read, like, I saw a little video today from Screenplayed on Instagram that was doing the scene between Leto and Paul, like, the whole, like, you'll still be my son, phenomenally written. Like, I was just like, man, like, they really just, even the writing on that is fantastic. So Dune was by far and away my favorite movie to come out this year. I'm with you on that one. Um you know, it's it's really it's not only not only is it just a good movie, it, it's the sort of it's the it's the big filmmaking. I know we covered this. It's the feeling of big grand filmmaking that mm-hmm. I think even even in some of these even in some of these Marvel movies that make forty eight billion dollars a weekend, um, that like they still miss. Like they yeah. they don't they don't capture it the same way that um, Denny Villeneuve captures it. They just don't. And like this is like a this is a capital M movie, dude. Is a capital M movie. Yeah, man. And like having the drought of the theater and stuff like that throughout the pandemic, and to just go there and watch this just beautifully shot and like awesome worlds, awesome characters, cool fight scenes. Like just to see that on the big screen again, it, it was. It was just like, man, this is why we go. This is why we do this shit in the first place. Is this is why we get in the fucking car and drive it to a theater instead of watching it in our own home and mm-hmm. stuff. This that was a good reminder of that. Yep, yep, exactly. A total reason to. There's plenty of movies that you could watch on HBO Max or you know whatever whatever other streaming service, and that's mm-hmm. and you know what that's totally come kind of get I'm gonna kind of get into that here in a minute. That's totally fine. That's where they belong. You don't you're not gonna miss a ton if you don't see it in the theater. If you did not see Dune in the theater, then you you missed on like the whole you missed on on a very excellent uh, movie theater experience. Exactly, that was just a class A experience, man. Yeah. Loved every minute of it. Looking forward to the next one. Absolutely, um, absolutely. So, 
I, mine is not a, a mine is not a single movie. Mine is mine is sort of something that we've kind of talked about a couple different at, at a couple of different points in times in the past couple of years. Um, this year, the mid-budget action movie has been resurrected, and it's been resurrected for streaming, and that's fine because that's where they belong. Like, mm-hmm. you will never see a fifty million dollar action movie hit the theaters, or at least very rarely will you see it. Um, just thinking like off the top of my head here, I just compiled the list quickly. Army of the Dead and its prequel, Army of Thieves, came out this year. Boss Level um, with Frank Grillo. Nobody with um, Bob Odenkirk. Uh, the Tomorrow War. Uh, I that was definitely supposed to hit theaters, but I know the you know COVID prevented that. Right. Um, Without Remorse uh, with Michael B. Jordan and Gunpowder Milkshake. Uh, all of these would would qualify as mid level action movies. They all came out in streaming, and this is like a this is. This is where all of these types of movies belong. You don't necessarily need to see these in the theaters. And I guess if, I don't know, like off the top of my head, like I can't think of one that like I think would be enhanced by theaters. Like I don't think Army of the Dead would be that much better in a big screen. You know what I mean? Right. Um, Somewhat. I mean, sure, it'd be somewhat better. But I I just don't think that that's really like the point of it necessarily. Um, But the fact that like all of these are readily available, the quality is good. There's some fun action sequences. Um, you know, we're actually, we're using real, you know, we're, we're using, um, at least in the case of Army of the Dead, there's a lot of actual, like, squib work and stuff. Um, I, I, would, I would imagine that some of these other ones uh, also, since they're mid-budget, kind of do the same thing. It's just sort of like these, the, the 80s and 90s action movie feel has been ported over much more easily for me to, to ingest, and I fucking love it. Yeah, dude, if these movies need to find a home on um, the streaming platforms, go for it. And it is going to be a little bit more difficult for these movies to make it in the theater with these giant franchise and big budget movie mm-hmm. machines like Disney and Warner brothers and all that. And there's always going to be a place for them. Like there are just some times where I literally just want to watch fights and watch stuff blow up and everything yeah. like that. Like that is totally cool. It doesn't happen all the time, but when it does, I would still like to indulge in some of that nostalgia that I had when I was a kid, that cause I still like action movies. I don't know who the hell, how, how could you really not? Right. So I, I think that that's really great. I think it opens up the door for a lot more people to see these movies. And I mean, these movies can make their ways from the different streaming platforms and stuff like that. The Tomorrow War might be a little bit different because it's um, an Amazon thing. But some of these like non-Amazon or Netflix movies can easily just be bought. So they're going to eventually make it their way onto the streaming platform. And it's just a really good way to, number one, keep the genre alive. And number two, like give people the experience of an action movie without having to pay like the theater prices and stuff, because I'm not going to lie, like the, the going to the theater, it's only going to get more and more expensive and stuff. And mm-hmm. um, sometimes you just don't have the money to drop on, you know, what would be like your kind of corny action flick, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And for, and you know, think about it from this, this perspective for every John wick that breaks through, um, and becomes right. because it's own franchise. There's a um, oh gosh, uh, there's a Hotel Artemis that was mm-hmm. pretty similar. That's not a bad movie. It's actually like a it's a it's a good little weekend Saturday afternoon, nothing else on type of movie. Um, it's got some good violence. It's got a good premise, but like that movie didn't break through. <laughs> because right. it's just going to get washed over by everything else that's in the theaters. Right, right. And, like, dude, John Wick, like, I mean, those people need a number to, to, to thank everybody for this um, 
Keanu Reeves romance that everybody like is kind of going through that kind of perpetuated some of the success because it took a lot of stuff even for that to break through. Mm-hmm. I mean, like the number one, Keanu's amazing in it. So like, I mean, you have, you have like that going for you. And then just this whole mythology of like, Oh, it's about this guy and they kill his dog. So he goes out and kills them and it works and it works amazingly. But that isn't something that's going to happen all the time. I mean, you can't just insert uh, – it can't just be Alexander Skarsgård in that same role and expect the same mm-hmm. results. You know, there's like this perfect storm of stuff that had to happen just for John Wick to become what it is. Exactly, exactly. I, I think in – I think if – I think I think Keanu is pro- – Keanu is probably the most important driving factor behind that because I think if you mm-hmm. swapped him out with any – with a lot of other action stars – that the movie just doesn't resonate the same way. No, it's like, there is just something about, it's like an, he's an unsurprising action star, I guess, even though he was in the matrix and it, but which is a you know, big movie. He had constant scene, but you just don't think action star Keanu Reeves in 2014, when those movies were made, it just, it just totally came out of left field mm-hmm. and was awesome. Mm-hmm. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, let's move on to TV Chema. Um, oh. What, what, uh, what was your favorite thing from TV? I loved Reservation Dogs. This was a really cool kind of show that FX had this year. It was created by Sterling Harho and Taika Waititi. Um, Anything that Taika is involved in, I'm at least going to check out. And Reservation Dogs, I felt, was this really cool, just kind of different show that you know, we were fortunate enough to be graced with this year. And not only does it um, focus on like a, a subject matter that I think people should be more educated on, and that's, you know, like life um, on the Native American reservations, but it also had a very great, very charming and cool kind of cast. Um, and it wouldn't be a Taika Waititi production without somebody seeing an imaginary a person as one of the characters does have a relationship with like a, um, a native American who um, that he sees like only via imagination. So I, I thought this was really great. Um, I, I personally can't speak to like how accurate it is. I, I'm assuming that they did their research. Everything felt very authentic to me. And um, just to have this um, setting with some of these cool, not just central characters, but some of these other kind of side characters and everything. I thought the show worked very well. Uh, yeah, it's one I still have. I still have yet to check out, um, but it, it, but it is on my, which feels like this year more so than ever. I, I have this massive list of <laughs> of TV shows to watch, um, but uh, it's it's on my list for sure. Like it, it's it's a good um, we. You, you know, we, we always talk. We always talk about like um, movies and TV shows that are just sort of like slice of life, slice of life type of mm-hmm. entertainment, where like you know episodes or pieces don't necessarily, don't even necessarily have to go anywhere. They just have to show us what's happening. Um, and and you're right. Like this is one of those. This is one of those shows that's it's a slice of life show um, that you know is showing us a life that a lot of people aren't readily familiar with. And mm-hmm. I'm going to go ahead and guess that it's it's pretty it's um it's pretty um it's pretty authentic since Sterling Harjo is in fact a Native American from Oklahoma. Yeah, I would like I like I wish I knew more about it to kind of um the uh, that kind of life to maybe understand some of the more specifics and nuances and everything. Um, but like they do a really I feel that they do a really good job of of capturing of that 
of that particular life and everything. So I, um, I did enjoy it. And it is one of those shows that does make you want to go out and learn some more about, you know, this particular element of native American culture. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yes, that's, that's on my, that's on my to-do list. Uh, we'll see at one point. God damn it. I have so much to watch. Um, Chema, my, this is even something that actually even came out this year, but we finally, this year, very recently, we finally got an actual physical look, a teaser trailer of a Halo Entertainment property that is not a video game. The <laughs> Halo know. series trailer, the, the first one, or the teaser trailer, finally dropped, I want to say, like, at the end of November, or maybe, like, even the beginning of December, beginning of this month. Um, finally dropped, and, like, it, it's real. A- after literally close to 15, 16 years of, uh, of rumors, of scripts that were bought for... An Alex Garland script was bought for like five million dollars that Garland wrote and never, never did anything with it. Um, that must be nice. Um, uh, online shorts and animated shorts, um, failed series, web series, web movies. Finally, this property that really, considering all the video game movies and TV shows and things that have been made from uh, 2001 until 2021. All of the ones that have been made, this is like the one that needs to be made. That mm-hmm. not only not only does it provide because it has such a deep mythology, you could really you can tell the story of the chief, you can tell stories of people that aren't even involved with the main storyline. There's so much here that you could you could tell this this is a series that probably could last for three or four seasons. And would easily fill you'd easily be able to fill up that three or four seasons with a lot of story. Um, but instead we're making fucking house of the dead movies and you know, like it, it's of all the things that should, that all the video games that should have been made into a movie. This is like the one that I would put way at the top of the list, like way at the top of the list. And we're finally doing it. Oh yeah, man. You make a good point about the should factor. Like I know that it's entirely like objective, like somebody down the street may have a completely different thing, but like, I almost feel that it is like a statement of fact that this movie should have been made. Like there's no, uh, there's nothing about the way the entertainment industry works that says otherwise. Like this has been a very popular game. If, if, when Xbox came out, I mean, this was like the fucking game. Yep. You know what I'm saying? And this game has their sequels. And you're right, this plethora of short films and fan fiction and all this other kind of stuff. You know, like Alex, the the five million dollar Alex Garland like a dream writer's dream to get paid to write something that doesn't get made. You know, so. I feel that this is, it's just like about time, you know, and I, I played Halo when it came out. I loved it. Like I do get, um, you know, I do kind of, you know, get softer when I think about those days and just like, you know, it's a really just cool thing that I experienced and stuff that I had with my friends when I first got out of high school. Mm-hmm. So the fact that th- we finally got it, it's just like, yes, we finally are seeing this. Now we know that it's happening. You know, it's not just like an article on Variety that they're getting ready to do it or, hey, all the the, the production trucks have pulled up. Like we actually mm-hmm. are seeing a fucking product. I couldn't be any more excited about it. It's going to be on Paramount Plus, if I'm not mistaken. Correct. My mom's got she's got a Paramount Plus thing. I'm totally going to get it. I am going to be watching it. I'm just very excited for this to come out. And the cool thing is, too, is that it's also something sci fi. So they're not just like making like a 
freaking video game out of something corny. It's a cool sci-fi thing with a deep mythology that they could do a lot of really awesome stuff with, and I'm yep. looking forward to it. Yep, yep, I'm I'm very excited for it. Um, oof, yeah, just it's fucking finally, finally, and and just to sort of put a, a, a little button on it from from the side of things, like we're so obsessed. You know, the entertainment world is so obsessed with established IPs. How how has it taken this long for a game <laughs> with this massive of a following, literally a, a following that has spanned twenty years? To like, it took that long to get this established IP made into something. Yeah, I don't. There's got to be a like a Death of Superman Lives type documentary about this project. There, there's got to be something. Somebody has to be compiling something because there is a story here. There's no way in hell that this movie has not is gone twenty something years without being made or there, this show or this project has gone all this time without being brought to life for a reason. There's a reason for it. And I think we will find out what it is in some form of a detailed documentary to be released at a later date. Very, very possible. Very possible. And I mean, again, just think about like the names that have been attached to this as, as, over the years. As I've said before, Alex Garland wrote a script, got paid a shit ton of money to do it. And I, I don't know who has that script. Like it's just, it's in a vault somewhere. <laughs> right. um, Neil Blomkamp made a bunch of shorts. Um, for it, um, mm -hmm. and that were produced by Peter Jackson, like the the people that were involved in all of this. There was a TV series that had like Mike Coulter that lasted like five episodes before it was pulled. There, like, there were a lot of people involved in this. And it's just it's so bizarre to me that they couldn't figure it out. But, but like, we'll do, you know. And even though I loved the, even though I really loved the the most recent Mortal Kombat. Like, how did that Mortal Kombat movie get out before a Halo TV series or movie? Yeah, how did the Warcraft movie get made before yep. a Halo before a Halo series came out? I mean, it's like we're even making a, Mar a Mario animated movie that'll yep. be coming out right probably before the Halo movie does, or right around the same time, whatever. But uh, yeah, I don't understand. I don't get it. So I know that there's a story there, and hopefully that is a story that will be told sometime. Yeah, soon. yeah. All right, let's move on to sports here, Chema. Um, you know what? I, I want to go first here because maybe you'll maybe you'll kind of commiserate with me on this one. But Chema, I I have probably since you know I've come full circle. I think we can both kind of say that to to some degree. I've come full circle on Tom Brady. Um, <laughs> you know, like used to despise him, but mm -hmm. now he really Chema. He really helps me feel not old. Yeah, <laughs> like I mean, really and truly, I'm like I'm, every now and then, like I'm like, God damn, like like I just feel old sometimes about certain things. Whether or not sometimes it's physically, like it just mm -hmm. you know something hurts, and I'm like, fuck, I'm old. But other times it's just like I feel like out of touch with things. And then like, yeah. I see Tom Brady potentially, probably not, but like could win an MVP this year. And he's I don't know, seventy eight something like that. Um, <laughs> it really so like he really helps me feel not old. Yeah, I will tell you, I've come full circle with Brady as well. I'm all for it. I want him in every goddamn commercial, everything. And he is one of the only, like, kind of things out there that is, like, you know, keeping my youth and stuff like that. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, it, it's not listening to Green Day anymore. It's like looking at Tom Brady and just being like, yeah, like, that's a 40-something-year-old man out there, not only playing professional football, but fucking killing it, you know? And he could easily take the Buccaneers to another Super Bowl. So... This is just a, a freak of nature human being that I'm enjoying my little second run at a relationship with Tom Brady. Because in the beginning, 
it, it was kind of like a cool story. You know, I mean, it still is a great, it's a great story. It wasn't a kind of cool story. It's awesome. This guy is a uh, six round player comes up and wins a Super Bowl in new England. But once I, I think once he started to win multiple Super Bowls with new England and it became this like Brady Belichick thing, it, it became a little much. Yeah, it did. It really did. And it also made me like realize how much I don't like Bill Belichick. And because these two were like a package deal, it was like I didn't like Brady like through association. And now that they've split, um, I still don't like Belichick. But like, dude, I want to see Brady fucking throw the Super Bowl trophy across a boat again. <laughs> Hell yeah. He says he and wants it, to do it overhand this time. Do it, Tom. You have my blessing. <laughs> go, go go, for it. Like, let him throw a bunch of other stuff, too. Like, I don't care. I want to see him drunk on avocado tequila, everything all over again. Those were like really – it was just cool to see that side of him. We never really see that, if ever. So oh, I'm, you, I'm... you used to see it back in the early New England days. Like okay. he was on, he was on late night. Um, I want to say he was on with like Conan O'Brien, like okay. early on. And he talked. He like they were talking about like when he was in college and like when he first got to New England. He is that he was talking about how like he's like oh I'm the best I'm the best beer chugger hands down, and like. Like one night, like in New England, or maybe it was at Michigan, he like just annihilated every lineman at chugging beers. Like one, like he'd go one on one with them, out chug him, go to the next guy, out chug him, go to the next guy, out chug him. Like we, the personality's always been there. It's just more accessible now because of social media, and mm-hmm. also because he's not in New England anymore. <laughs> right. Where like right. where information goes to die. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's a very good point right there. Yeah, information does uh, die in New England, that's for sure. But yeah, like, just go figure. He's a beer. He's the ultimate beer chugger too. It's like, like, it's like, it's just like he's one of these examples of like, you know, it's just not fair. <laughs> it just really is. <laughs> nope, nope, not at all, not at all. Although I wonder, I like legitimately wonder though, when do you think the last time he actually had a beer was? it's i'd probably say a while i i could see him being more of a liquor guy just because the dude's so about his body and stuff and like i mean alcohol is you know no matter how you put it but at least one shot of tequila it's more powerful and potent than a 12 ounce can of beer so i could see him being more of a liquor guy yeah yeah all right how about you chum your uh your sports thing from this year Dude, my sports thing, like I kind of hinted at it earlier, like I love that Cincinnati is in the college football playoff. Mm -hmm. This is really fucking cool. I I think it's great that a non-Power 5 conference made it. Um, If there's anything that is going to be the thing that prompts the expansion of the playoffs, I think it's this. There's a lot of Power 5 schools out there that aren't happy. But you know something? You guys didn't have the season that Cincinnati did. And uh, they've totally earned it. They showed that they can hang on. They moved their way up to the rankings. You know, they've had some things happen in their favor. Some teams have lost, but Mm -hmm. you know, when it all, when the, all the cards are on the table, they're the ones that are, that are getting ready to play against Alabama. One of the the greatest programs in the history of the sport. And I'm totally rooting for them. And as I said earlier, I I think that they stand a chance. So I, that to me is um, the most important thing from sports this year is that Cincinnati's finally getting their shot. Yep, yep, they're finally getting their shot. Um, they've they have absolutely one hundred percent earned it. You kind of, you almost kind of wonder what would have happened if we were to allow Luke Fickle to figure <laughs> things out here at, at, here mm-hmm. in Columbus. Well, no, not not in Columbus, but you know what I mean for Ohio State. I mean, it yeah. was it, the the timing of it wasn't. It was just you know the the dismissal of uh, of Trestle and right. Fickle taking uh, taking over in an emergency. Like the timing wasn't great. But you do kind of wonder, and it also makes me wonder, 
you know, if, if Ryan Day were to, there's been rumors about him for the last couple of years, potentially moving to the NFL at some mm-hmm. point in time. You kind of wonder like, man, is that like, would, would Luke Fickle, um, he would leave Cincinnati, obviously he's not going to stay there for the next 20 years, but right. Like, but would like, would, would he, if that opening came up in the next two years, would he want to leave in the next two years? You know what I mean? Like how, how far does he want to take Cincinnati? Right. No, that's a good, and dude, if I were to give my opinion on this, I think that number one, Ryan Day is, you're, you're always in the hot seat when you're a college coach. And when you're at one of these elite programs, I think that seat is even hotter. Oh and yeah. Yeah. Right. And like, I, I hate to say this, but like the, the way that the sport is, is that Ryan Day could take them to five, 10 and one or 11 and, or like, you know, like a, a 10 and two, whatever the record yep. is seasons, but with no national title, like no, no holding the trophy up. Yep. And they might be like, okay, Hey, maybe it's, maybe it's time to move on. And like, if they doesn't bring one home in the next two years, they might have to start having a conversation in Columbus that I don't know if anybody really wants to have, but if you're, but that's what you're there for at Ohio state is to win national championships. And if, if he doesn't bring one home, he, he's going to, you know, they'll oust him and he'll go to the NFL. And then I think that it would be a dumb move for fickle to turn that job. I think that they should call an offer to him first. And mm-hmm. like, um, I, you know, believe me, it could be one of these deals where like, he might love it down there. He might love it down there, but it's still, it's, it's still Cincinnati to coach. It's still yeah, Cincinnati. You're right, man. And they, they might be loaded and set up for the next couple of years, but that is Ohio state football calling. He played there. Um, I think that it's a phenomenal story for this interim coach to go somewhere, have success and then get offered the job back. I think that's a great story. And uh, like, him having the experience that he has now by being a head coach at Cincinnati, like a team, you know, being there for a couple of years, he would be a great addition to um, the Ohio State program if they make the decision to get rid of Ryan Day. I, I, I have a, I, I, you know, and I'm not trying to like create speculation that that's like what they're talking about because uh, they're not. I mean, they they truly are not. But you know, but like you said, like these these coaches leave unexpectedly all the time. I mean, did mm-hmm. you see? Did you see Brian Kelly going to LSU? <laughs> right. I, I mean, no, no. Did you? I mean, maybe in the maybe at the end of the season, the Lincoln Riley to USC thing, but like how abruptly? Like right. he just jumped. I mean, like this happens all the time. So it's not like out of the realm of possibility that one day Ryan Day might, you know, the um, uh, I don't know, Washington might open up or something, and mm-hmm. he said, you know, and they're gonna, they're, you know, they end up with a high draft pick, and he might go, you know what? NFL head coaching job, high draft pick, get the quarterback I want. That you know, that's like, you know, that that's like those, those opportunities don't come around that often. Um, right. I you know I just don't. Th- I, I will say this: Ohio State isn't as hair trigger as other programs like LSU or Florida or someone like that, where it seems like they're firing a head coach like every couple of years because <laughs> um, they have been recently. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, like it wouldn't. It just wouldn't shock me if Ryan Day has that itch to go to the next level. And try his hand. Try his hand as an NFL. Um, you know, I mean, he coached in the NFL as a quarterback coach, so mm-hmm. it wouldn't shock me if he wanted to move on. And it also wouldn't shock me that if you know, if Luke, that if Luke Fickle were to to move up to Ohio State and take the position, it also wouldn't surprise me if he was one of those coaches that was there for fifteen to twenty years. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Like I think that um, programs and stuff like that are just so much better when people are there for a long time and somebody like Fickle is going to set up shop and be there for a while. He is an Ohio guy. 
Um, and that right there, I mean, that's one of the best coaching jobs like anywhere. That's not a professional football team. Right. So like that is just like the job that you like aspire for. And if he has success, there'd be no reason that like fickle doesn't go down in history as like one of the, the Woody Hayes or, uh, or something like that yeah. out of the program. Yep. Yep. Exactly. All right. How about, um, how about pop, how about some pop culture here, Chema? All right. My favorite item from pop culture this year is I am so happy that Elon Musk and Grimes broke up. I can't stand the two of them. I couldn't st- <laughs> like, I guess at some point in time and like this is fairly recently, like, I, I kind of remember, like, oh, yeah, like, Elon Musk, this guy, like, seems like a cool guy. And, He's not. But but the more and more, it's just, no, it's just not the case. And, like, Grimes, I, at one point in time, like, I liked the music, but her personality has kind of taken over. Like, so no matter what, like, I even if I'm listening to it, all I'm seeing is, like, this earth, ethereal, like, um, earthreal, whatever the music's called, uh, urethral band music alien type persona not your retrol because that means your penis or your that's right okay okay ethereal ethereal is where you're going for okay okay ethereal ethereal uh ethereal okay that's that's how they classify her music in spotify and stuff like i get this like kind of thing that comes up and i'm just like now uh, but now i want a urethral playlist yeah (laughs) oh believe me i can make one very very into (laughs) a lot of lyrics about peeing yeah exactly and i can guarantee you that there are a lot of material i could probably make a four-hour list knowing spotify but uh i just i can't like i just can't the two of them together is just one of these like annoying couples and it was also like one of these like oh this kind of totally came out of nowhere and then as i started to um dislike them more and more um I just was, I'm just like, I'm not rooting for them to be happy. So I'm glad that they are no longer together. <laughs> and um, that to me is one of the, the most significant and pop culture moments of this year. And like, just let them go be their own thing and do their own stuff, whatever. I just, I just don't want to see photos of Grimes walking around LA reading communist manifesto, looking like she is about to get like a still suit gone wrong. You know, like I just, I, I just done with this. Like I, I don't want any more. Of this I, I still don't understand that coupling anyway. Yeah. Don't get it. Don't uh, get like, it at all. It, it, I, I don't know. Like Elon, Elon Musk had a lot of people fooled for a while, but like, keep in mind, he is a super young billionaire who became a super young billionaire by being a fucking ruthless piece of shit. Um, mm-hmm. That's the only way you make that much money if it wasn't already handed to you. <laughs> right. um, Elon, like I, I don't, I don't have heard people like say glowing things about him. Like, oh, like look, he's, look what he's doing for the space stuff. And I'm like, yeah, but if he, if he had the opportunity to make an extra billion dollars and all it cost him was like stabbing you through through with the sword, he would. So yeah, exactly. Don't don't don't. There is nothing like whatever. I, I, billionaires are gonna billionaire. They're they're fucking. They're on a different. They're a whole different plane of of existence than we are. But like, don't worship these people because they're all pieces of shit. You don't. Yeah. You don't accumulate that much money without being a piece of shit. Right. And I, I'm kind of over some of this like celebrity billionaire stuff. It's like, okay, so you're rich now. You want to be famous too. I mean, it's just like, just pick one and right. do, and stay with it, you know? So that way we don't have to get you on multiple angles. You could just be a celebrity or just be a rich guy, not both. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Thank you. I, I don't need to see you on SNL. Yeah, no, I don't. That was actually one of the things that really prompted me to do it was like this whole, the Mario sketch where they're dressed as Mario characters. I, and Grimes is in that one too, and I'm just like I'm I'm done with this. It's this is done. I, yeah. I don't want any more yeah. of this. Uh, Chema, I, I 
I was, I was, it was one, this was one of those things that, like, I immediately hated, and then within probably a few hours, I saw the humor and the, the memes that were going to come out of this, and, I, and, like, it, it mm-hmm. just, it, it happened that way, and I'm so glad it did. Um, I, I love the Island Boys, Chema. Are you familiar with oh, the Island Boys? Oh, I know this. I've. I know what this I'm is. I'm Island Boy. I'm going to put my vest on. There's two fucking oh, okay. freak shows that are freestyling. Oh, yes. I know on guys, TikTok. Yes, yes. Um, mm-hmm. They both look like... They look like... The, the best meme of them was like... Um, they, they look like a cartoon character from like... Um, from what... What's the... They look like a cartoon character from like Rugrats or something. They, yeah. they have this like horrible blonde hair that's like spiked up like out in different directions. They're covered mm-hmm. in fucking tattoos. They're both about like 5'8", 110 pounds, soaking yep. wet. Um, they claim to be, I think they're like, their background, like their mother's Cuban or something. But like, they're from Florida, and they affect, a- they affect like a Patois sort of accent when they freestyle. So you can, so it covers up the fact that you can't hear anything that they're saying. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, it, it's, it's, what makes it great is that like this isn't like a character, like these these guys the Island Boys really it's Fly Flyboys or Flyboy Soldier and like Kodiak Red I think are their names or their rap names, and uh-huh. like they're very sincere about this, which to me makes it even funnier that like they don't either they don't understand or like they have no choice but to go along with the fact that they're a joke, but like the memes the fucking comments. There's a YouTube video of one of their of, of one of their um there's there's a YouTube video of their original freestyle. I can't remember who posted it, but the the roasts on the page are fucking next level roasts. They're not they're not like obscene. They're just like they're clearly made by smart people who mm-hmm. know exactly how to like phrase how to frame just how ludicrous these people are. I'll send you I'm going to send it I'm going to send you a link uh, a little bit to to you'll see what I mean. Mm-hmm. It's just like I love this so much. How fucking, how fucking bizarre these people are, and how they don't realize it, and just like the endless torrent of jokes at their expense. I enjoy it, and you know what? Oh. It's okay because they're making a lot of money off of it. So whatever. Yeah. Right. Oh, exactly. And like I know what you mean. I, I know the memes that you're talking about. I've seen a lot of these covering these two people. They have been a very popular subject matter in like the the meme world and everything. And I, I somehow like videos of theirs get like uh, beamed into my feed and people like tweets from them. So I see this stuff. I know exactly what you're talking mm-hmm. about. And it's just one of those things like they, they embrace it and it, they seem to, um, whatever they embrace it, like, and they seem to go along with it just kind of seems that it's a little bit easier for you to jump on board. With it, it, exactly. Know? Like I, it would be very different if it's sort of like, I don't know. There's like a fine line between like, you know, if you have like a video of like people falling down or whatever, like mm-hmm. there's a fine line. Like if that person really got like hurt, or person was like pushed down as opposed to fell down an accident, like it feels a little cruel to laugh at it. But mm-hmm. so like in, in just a sort of in this sort of in the same metaphor, like these guys are leaning fully into whatever's going on, and right. whether or not they realize like how deeply some people are making fun of them or not, they're getting more popular. They're making money off of this, so I do not mind making fun of them. Right. Exactly. Yeah. No, I got what you, I understand what you mean, dude. And continue to do it, dude. Cause they're going to be subject to humor for a while now, especially going into next year. Oh boy. I can't wait until I like, I am, 
I'm sort of, I don't think it'll ever happen, but I am like sort of waiting for, waiting for whatever they drop, like a full, like at least like a full LP or something or a full mm-hmm. EP, excuse me. Like give me like five or six songs. Cause like, I yeah. can't wait to fucking hear it. Like I can't fucking oh. wait. Oh yeah. That is going to be the, um, that is going to be the talk of the internet whenever that happens. Mm-hmm. Like that, they're going to own the week. They make an actual release. That's yep. for sure. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, how about, uh, how about a wild card here, Chema? Just anything else? All right, dude. So, um, when we did our fitness episode the, to begin the year, the second episode of the year, um, we did the occasionalist like workout playlist and stuff. Right. So I became inspired by that. And my, and so instead of just focusing on one particular band, I'm going to let everybody know that I have actually made 52 different workout playlists that I've been making throughout the course of the year. Everything's got different names. There's different themes. It's all kinds of different genres and stuff. This has been one of my bread and butter, stupid, like side project things that I do drunkenly at night. And there have been times where I, I listen to the thing and then I go make adjustments and stuff. So um, I have curated one full year of one playlist a week. Uh, for workout purposes. So that has been one of the cool things that I've done this year. And I just couldn't find any other point in time where I could figure out a way to work it into the conversation. So this is what I'm doing for this episode. I, I dig it though. There you go. That's so, okay. So um, what do you, what do you think the most, the most overlap you have in all the, in all the playlists, like any, okay. any particular band or like genre? <laughs> Okay, you could actually tell like what music I'm kind of discovering or re-getting into as you go through the playlists. <laughs> so like the first like the first probably 20, I'd say that there's a lot of different Rage Against the Machine stuff that makes an appearance on okay. there. But as it goes on, I would say like the the overall I think the most overlap that there is is probably um, either the band Fucked Up or the band Titus Andronicus. Those two I think have the most songs that appear on the albums. And I also made like a um, a fucked up specific playlist. So okay. I think those those two are the most, and then like um, everything else is just a wild assortment of different genres and bands and stuff like that. But I, I make sure to do a lot of um, covering a lot of different territory. Very good, very good, interesting too. Like I never, like I, I'm not really that. As like far as my workout goes, I'm not really that heavily into a playlist. Um, mm-hmm. Like I don't need to, I don't necess- I personally don't necessarily need to put anything like together to listen to, but it is there is a kind of certain appeal to having like putting together a whole selection and then like kind of like almost in the same way that you're putting your routine together, having music that you mm-hmm. think is going to accompany it for that week. Yeah, definitely. I I, I made him primarily for running because like I just kind of got sick of running to like one single album over and over again. And I noticed that the runs were better whenever just like a random song comes on. It's like, Oh great. I'm usually like, I'll be dragging ass. And then like, Oh, this one song comes, just kind of fires you up to get you through it and stuff. So they, it started off as just kind of for running. And then I expanded it into like, you know, full hours and longer and stuff to get like the full workout and everything in there. But I was just like, I was, I was running one day and I was listening to, um, system of a downs, like, uh, toxicity and stuff. And I'm just like, yeah, like, you know, like there are some songs that really, you know, amp me up on here, but there's other ones where I'm just like, yeah, like chop suey doesn't really do it for me anymore. Like in terms of getting fired up. So I'm just like, all right, like how do I continue to get fired up? And then all of a sudden, like 52 playlists later, here we are. There you go. There you go. It's a little, nothing wrong with a little inspiration, um, leading, leading to something kind of, uh, I don't know. I, you'll, that'll have to be something, um, what we'll to check in with you like after a couple months. 
to see mm-hmm. like if you've see if you've stuck with it. What what you know? Have you stuck with it? Have you revisited yeah. any? You know that kind yeah. of stuff. There's like you know I'm glad you asked that because like it's going to be something that I want to stick with, but in terms of like actually sitting down and like, okay, you have to do this. Like here's one week, do it, you know, trying to make one a week or two. Like, I'm probably not going to be as like um, meticulous or scheduled about it in terms of creating them, but it's definitely something that I look forward in doing. It's just like when, for me, since I've listened to so much music, there's like, I'll just kind of like forget as to like what songs could really like, you know, get you fired up and then like, Oh wow. Is it, is this on a playlist already? So like, the more that I kind of just like dive into stuff, um, I, then I'm like, okay, so here's one song I know for a fact isn't on the playlist. Let's see if I can build one around this song. So right. de- definitely looking to continue doing it. Um, there's a couple of there's a couple of on there where it's just like, okay, like you know, maybe like you weren't entirely um, like I wasn't necessarily feeling it this week. And there's like a couple I probably could go back and make some additions to or some additions and subtractions to. But for the most part, I think it turned out very, very well. Excellent. Excellent. Very, very nice. Very nice. Nice little. That's definitely a wild card right there. I like it, though. I like it. Yeah. Out of left field. Yeah. <laughs> like it. Um, mine's not so out of left field, but it's it's more of an observation that um, we are. Chema, we're living in an era where like TV has gotten better and better. I don't think that's really like I don't think we really need to argue that necessarily. Um, it's better, you know, better quality, like visual quality, better writing quality, um, better acting, better, better everything. TV is just better than it's ever been, and I really think it's I really think a, a, one of the biggest contributing factors to it is the abundance. Obviously, it's the streaming services, but the because these streaming services need content they're reaching in and getting the best content from other countries and Mm -hmm. the, you know, the cream of the crop from Canada, um, the UK, Korea, Japan, Germany, all of it is now being slowly but surely pulled up to Amazon and Netflix and whatever else. And I think, I think we're past for a while there, you know, every network wanted a, a prestige TV show. Everyone wanted their version of the Sopranos, their game of Thrones, whatever. I, I think that era is over. And I mm-hmm. think now what's going to be better for, you know, the streamers and the streaming wars and even even like with the more traditional cable, um, you know, over the over the air and, and cable networks, what's going to be where, where the battle is going to be fought now isn't necessarily do you have the best show or do you have a whole bunch of shows that are of good quality that are also very different from one another? Mm-hmm. Like you, you know, you and I, if we're on Netflix or if we're on Amazon, we can watch Canadian Horror uh, followed it up with like a German sci-fi show. Followed it up with uh, a, you know a UK procedural. Followed it up with um, you know I don't know some uh, some Korean some Korean melodrama or something. Like we could do that very 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 rapidly now. When probably about five years ago, um, all the streamers were kind of bereft of not all of them, but they, there was a lot less of that sort of selectability um, in terms of their. Um, I, I don't want to just flatly call it international content, but like the option to even have international content. I think, yeah. I think we are, we are in the era of infinite selectability. There is quite literally something for everyone now, whether it's mm-hmm. American or not. Oh, you are a hundred percent right on that dude. And like the amount of um, non-American shows that have 
gained popularity and that have gained like, you know, some level of pop culture significance is more so through the roof now than I could ever remember in my entire life. You know, I mean, there's like the fact that Squid Game took off is just like still kind of surprises me, which I did watch an episode of. And I'm like, yeah, it's cool, but it's not as crazy as everybody makes it out to be, I feel. But um, that there's way more crazier shit out there. But um, the uh, what we're doing here in this infinite selectability, I mean, you're right. These streaming services, they've got a lot of different stuff on here. I do agree with what you're saying here about the um, just the idea of, um, you know, like being like a what is this? like their whole idea of like um, there's more shows like instead of focusing on like the creme de la creme, like everybody's just having a big variety of shows because that's. I think what you really, really want here is like a strength kind of thing, because mm-hmm. there's only going to be so many streaming services that people can afford. So like, and I mean, it's almost like you might as well just have cable when you think about like what it would take to watch every single popular show. So by going with a streaming service that just has a lot of quality, I think more people are going to be more likely to stay with that streaming service in terms of like brand loyalty than like um, spreading the love around where they're just like watching one thing here, watching another thing here, watching another thing here. Because I got to tell you, like with some of these streaming services, like let's take Apple Plus, for example. I know that there are good shows and good content and everything on there. But like, do I really want to get the whole other thing for Ted Lasso in the morning show? Like, what else am I going to do with the streaming service the rest of the year? And then like, do I really want to be meticulous about canceling and reactivating all this stuff just to watch? That's a, I feel like that's a little bit too much work. <laughs> I know I'm being lazy, but that just seems like it's a little bit too much work here. So, um, like I would rather have Netflix or HBO max focus on getting the best possible stuff and a lot of it and a lot of variety of it than me Oh, here's a new streaming service for me to get. Yeah, yeah, no, I yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And and by the way, they they are the streaming services, and any any subscription that you get online is purposely difficult to cancel. Um, yeah, oh, unless yeah. <laughs> unless you are very on top of it, they're very difficult to cancel um, on purpose. But yeah, it, it's like I I always think like you know like when I hear about how much the exorbitant amount of money that Amazon spent on the Lord of the Rings uh, TV show that's going to come out, I think, next year. Um, I think later, later, the later part of 2022. Um, when I think about that, I'm like, it just feels like you're, like, it feels like it's being forced, that they're going to they're gonna force a prestige TV show on us. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you don't spend 400 plus million dollars um, and, 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 you know, not put, you know, not, and then not hope it turns into the next Game of Thrones. Um, right. But, like, I think... I think that those shows emerge on their own anyway. Like, Game of Thrones emerged on its own anyway. Um, the Sopranos emerged on its own anyway. Like, these shows just emerge. Mm-hmm. Like, right. There's, there's, there, whatever the formula is, it's not like it's something you can just go, oh, okay, yeah, that's how you make a prestige TV show. Duh, obviously. Because if <laughs> that was the case, the, more of these would be, there would be, like, a, a never-ending abundance of these, like, excellent TV shows. But I think mm-hmm. I so those are going to emerge anyways. But like like you're right, if Hulu has ten really solid shows, has three really good comedies, a couple of good original dramas, um, and then you know they've they've acquired some stuff from you know from Canada and the UK that's really good. Well, there you go. There's like ten shows that you have to watch. That's like year round that you can watch right. Hulu. Right. Exactly. That's not just 
three months out of the year and stuff. Like, give me some kind of longevity for having your product. Like, the the fact that I watched Netflix only a handful of times this year, it speaks to exactly what we're talking about and stuff. You know, it's like I think Netflix needs to um, kind of step up some of their game and everything. And I will also agree with you 100% when you talk about the whole Lord of the Rings thing being forced on us. And it's weird because, like, I didn't really think that a couple of years ago when they were first kind of talking about this project. Now I do feel that it's forced on us, and I I almost feel like it's being forced on us because Wheel of Time isn't all that great. So um, the fact that this Lord of the Rings thing, this is going to be something that is shoved down our throats, dude. I mean, we're going to see so much advertising for it. I mean, they're going to treat this thing like it's the release of a uh, of a major motion picture and stuff. And I just hope to God that it's good because right now I'm not as I'm not as jacked up for the show as I used to be, and that is because of the Wheel of Time not being all that great. Have, did you finish the Wheel of Time? I haven't. I just kind of bailed after like four episodes. I'm like, okay, that's. I've actually heard that it gets better. It does. Okay. Yeah, because I'm like I'm at the point now where like um the expand like I'm I'm now like midway through season four of the expanse. I burned through like two three seasons in like the last probably six weeks or so um so i'm at the point where i could kind of jump back on the wheel of time bandwagon maybe i'll do it but like it was just it's the it just does not open i'm not impressed with like the first couple episodes okay yeah i i've heard a couple a couple of the the podcasts i listen to that do that cover pop culture at large kind of have the same sentiment that it just felt like a slog for about three episodes okay and then it gets and then at least for them they both agreed it got better as it went on, so I mean, I don't, I don't know. I haven't, I haven't seen it at all yet. But here's, here's how you know that that already this Lord of the Rings show is being shoved down our throats. How do you think? How do you think that that the number figure of of the cost got out on accident? Absolutely no, they put not. it out on purpose yeah. to make sure that we knew that they were spending a whole fuckload of money on a TV show. Um, like that, you know. Because then the implication is, oh my god, it's, it has to be good if they spent this much money on it. And I'm sure right. it'll look great, but, you know, maybe also make the story great, too. That would be nice. Yeah, exactly. You're going to need that. All right, Chumba, let's move on to the Occasionalist interview. We're going to go back and talk about ourselves, because that's just the kind of people we are. Um, <laughs> so let's start it off pretty simply here. What was your favorite topic that we covered this past year? Okay, I love the Lindelof deep dive, and like much like our time travel episode that we had done last year, this was one of those examples of just like the hard work paying off. Like you know, we took a long time to to watch you know a lot of his stuff. Yeah, <laughs> did a lot of TV hour watching, a lot of notes, and um, when it was all said and done, I thought the final product ended up being great. Yeah, I I really love putting it together too. It's much in the same way of, as the time travel episode, like. It was like research that I was actually really not that I'm never like happy to do research for this, but like the farther like I got into it, I'm like, well, that's really interesting. Like this is really yeah. interesting. Like it was, you know, like going all the way back to MTV's Undressed to like mm-hmm. to get, you know, to have some like notes on, on stuff. And like that was just like this deep exploration is like a lot of fun to do. And the fact that it was, you know, the fact that it was I, I think Lindelof is well known in certain circles. But, like, mm-hmm. he's not Quentin Tarantino. He's not, um, you know, take one of those kind of, like, giants, if you will. Um, he, yeah. He's just, like, just because of the realm in which he works, like, he's not, like, that. He's not, like, as, as widely known as probably he should be. Um, so, like, it, it was very it was very interesting to go back and, like, 
really sort of do all the digging on this and and then be able to like essentially for other people like hey this guy is significantly more than lost like there's mm-hmm. a lot of stuff in here that he's done um there's a lot of stuff that you know the post lost stuff you should definitely check out because i think his storytelling voice gets more clear and, and more concise um and then even like the pre-lost stuff i'm 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 actually very interested to go back and just watch a couple, not like, I'm not going to sit down and watch like two seasons worth, but watch like three or four episodes of like Crossing Jordan or Nash Bridges. Mm-hmm. Just to, yeah. just want to see if there's anything that I can pick out that carried over from those shows to Lost and then to Leftovers or even Watchmen. Right, right. Let me ask you a quick question here. Do you think that if he did direct um, or directed more that he would be on the level of like the Tarantinos and stuff. Do you, would he be like one of these Titans? <sighs> That's a, I, I, you know, I, I think, I think maybe the Tarantino comparison wasn't as great. Um, but like everyone knows who Shonda Rhimes is. And I, right. th- I yeah. think that like, if I think that if he was working one, if he was working in a less sort of esoteric field of television where that, it, that it were like, he is his subject matter is at the intersection of like religion and science. And mm-hmm. I think that in and of itself keeps certain things, keeps certain, even though lost is this massive phenomenon. There's like a reason why you don't like know his name that well, that like, it's just what he's working in is not like as accessible as like a political drama or, I gotcha. or procedural drama in a hospital. Yeah, no, I totally gotcha. And like, you're right. Like, Tarantino might be a, a bad compare because he's one of five people in the industry that is who he is and right. stuff. You know, like, and I, I, that's a really good way that you put it about the esoteric thing because his material and stuff, um, it's it isn't as accessible as a um, as a procedural. It's way more intelligently written than some of those medical procedurals. But because of the accessibility. That is might be one of those things that like separates him from like these like mega titans of television yeah. and stuff. And, so, and the like, fact that he works yeah. on HBO and not you know he only had one show on ABC. That's true. That, yeah, that doesn't bet. help. <laughs> yeah, you bet. You need at least like five shows on uh, a network. You know, like a three five eight network that um, go on forever to get that kind of titanship. You know. Yeah. Yeah. It's just yeah. It's just one of those things. Like it, it, I think for me, like the the ultimate like sort of, I mean, like, I can recommend Lost to anybody who hasn't seen it before. Like, just because I, I enjoyed it that much, I, I know that it has a much broader appeal. But, like, who would, would you recommend, this is, like, the litmus test for me, would you recommend The Leftovers to anyone? Not anyone. Like, no. I would, only, like, a certain crop of people in the anyone umbrella. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's sort of the litmus test for, like, Lindelof for me. Like, where do you how do you place the leftovers because it is right. it truly is the most um it, it, i don't want to say it's the, the most different but I, I think it's the most difficult to sort of like get a a handle on like what is this show is right it, <laughs> was it sci-fi is it religious is it is it uh you know is it drama is it, what is it it's it's everything it's everything and mm-hmm. nothing at the same time yeah that's exactly right yeah <laughs> Um, all right. So yeah, I, I'm with you on that one. Um, I, I was actually, I was, I was almost surprised you didn't pick the short film festival. Um, but that, that was up there for me. Uh, that was pretty obvious, but I really, really enjoyed our sports trivia episode. Like mm-hmm. just a fun, different way to approach sports. And like, we really got into some interesting stuff that I wasn't expecting to get into. 
Yeah. Oh my God. The sports trivia episode was great. Like I, the fact that I even was able to get four or five answers right was, was just incredible on my part. I was very <laughs> impressed with that, it was. but yeah, no, like I like that kind of stuff. It was just, you know, like questions that spark conversation. We didn't know what was coming, a very simple premise, but it got, I got the job done and ended up being a lot of fun and stuff all at the same time. It's definitely a lot of fun. Definitely love going through all those questions. And, it, and also one of those things that I, I personally, lo- again, I really like doing the research for like the more and more ideas I had, the more trivia I, I enrolled. I was like, Holy shit. Like I, I know I mentioned in the episode when uh, I had the question about uh, Joe Sewell, uh, the Indians, Indian second baseman uh, or shortstop uh, from like the twenties. Um, like you go through his, like, you know, his pro his uh, baseball reference page. And then you go through his Wikipedia page. That dude is trivia unto himself. And it's like, mm-hmm. You just sort of like, it's almost like mining. Like all of a sudden you hit a vein of stuff and you're like, holy shit, I didn't know any of this. Right. I know. And it just like, it opens you up for a, it's just a cool research tangent that, um, you know, that we don't get to do every single day of our lives. You know, like it's cool to go down those little rabbit holes online and Mm -hmm. look up a bunch of stuff. And then all of a sudden feel like an expert on, um, like the rabbit hole. I went to a big rabbit hole on, um, Turco-Mongol influence in uh, Eastern Asia like a couple weeks ago. And I'm like, oh, wow, look at all the stuff that I have now. (laughs) Right, right, right. And actually, we just described the process by which people uh, join QAnon. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know. That's exactly right. Like, thank God it was um, Turkish-Mongol history and not uh, Joe Biden eats babies and stuff. Right, right, exactly. It wasn't about the cabal. Thank goodness. Right. It easily could have been, but it wasn't. (laughs) How about uh, how about uh, the subject or moment, or whatever, however, however you want to, you know, you want, however you think about this, but the favorite thing that you brought to the table? Okay, like while the episode didn't necessarily turn out the way I wanted it to, but the um, the kind of incognition of this facts and fiction thing, yeah, I think that that in what we saw this year, I think will have a greater payoff as the years go on. So, like, I, I'm got some ideas going in my mind for factual February 2022. And um, I think what the foundation that was laid in 2021 will end up being something a lot cooler as time progresses. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's definitely what we needed to work on. Um, and, and I think you're right. There was uh, it's a, you know, it's a, it was a test episode, I, but I think, I, I think I know how you're going to, not I shouldn't say I know how you're going to do it, but I know how you can improve upon it. So it'll, yeah, it'll, exactly. it'll, 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 it'll unfold. It'll be fun. That's Definitely, for sure. dude. What was yours? Uh, Chema, I, I still am, especially as we have these conversations seemingly every year now, I, I think I fixed college football. And <laughs> Mark Emmerich needs to fucking call me up. I'll give him the blueprint. Take it from there. It's done. We we can we can all have... We can, we finally... We're moving this way anyway. It's going to happen. It's just going to happen slower. And it's going to take a little bit longer than necessary, but we are moving to like essentially like a forty to fifty team super league, mm-hmm. is what we're moving towards anyway. So why not just and you know instead of enduring the growing pains of this like happening slowly over time, just fucking <laughs> let's just slice and dice up the the, the conferences, make sure that the Kent States, the BGs, um, you know the the Southern Methodists, the uh, I don't know, t- take your pick, make sure that they're <laughs> all playing each other. Make sure that USC, Ohio State, Florida, Georgia, Michigan, make sure they're all playing each other. And, right. you know, never the twain shall meet. And you know what? You'll you'll have a lot more interest in college football knowing that, like, boy, the worst team that Ohio State plays this year is 
like a, you know, like an eight win, you know, the worst team is like an eight win Indiana team or something. <laughs> right. I know. Yeah. You got to give these um, smaller schools something to play for. I mean, it is just, I know that, you know, like if I was a division one athlete, no matter what, it'd be great. You know, like I'm sure. playing at a division one level, but like, it has just got to be like a fucking pain in your ass. Like if you're a really shitty team, like uh, to, to have to play like all these studs and stuff like that in your conference, you know, like if you're like a bottom, like a, a bottom feeder big 10 team and stuff like all, or like um, a bottom feeder big 10 teams like, Oh great. Now I got to play like Ohio state. I got to do all this stuff. I'm just going to go out there and get leveled. You got nothing to play for. Like if, if I was like Northwestern or something, I would totally welcome the, uh, the, the idea of being able to play like uh, the teams that like I have a chance to beat and everything. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, like Rutgers has no business playing Ohio state. They, they should be out there playing, um, like the you know the the best team that Rutgers should should run up in any given year should be like a Northwestern, like that should mm-hmm. be the best team right. to play all year long. But yeah, it, it's I don't know. It's just I, like I can see it. We're, this is how this is where it's going to end up anyway. Why not? Why not rip the bandaid off and get there faster? Right. It's only going to help out the competition. I mean, like Ohio State, there you had to wait. Um, so with the exception of the Oregon game, you had to wait, Oh, a long fucking time for them to like play a real game again. And I know that like, you know, the Nebraska game was like closed for a while, but like, that's not something that's going to happen all the time. Like basically Ohio State's schedule was four teams, you know, and we had to wait a long time for them to play three mm-hmm. of those teams. So I think that it is just, a you know, you could still have some of the, you know, like Ohio State, like their worst team that they played be like Indiana or something. That should be the way it is because this this difference in competition is astronomically different than what it was in previous years. I think like, I think this talent gap has just gotten wider and wider and it's only going to get wider and wider. Like, I don't care how many five-star people go to Jackson state or whatever, like the top schools are still going to get like the top talent. The, the whole idea of like wake forest or something, having this football renaissance and winning a national championship is completely out of the question. (laughs) So I, I mean like, they need to do something to level this playing field because I got to tell you, like I've been to Ohio state games where they blow out the other team. I've been to two games. They blew out one of the teams and um, they blew out Northwestern this one year. I went, it is just fucking boring. Like, mm-hmm. it, Oh, it's 42 to nothing at halftime and stuff. And like, yeah, like it's cool that the fans are going crazy and everything because like you go to school there, you want your team to win. But like as an outsider, as just somebody who didn't go to Ohio State, like it's just kind of fucking boring to watch them beat up on all these schools and like, yep, yeah, then that's it. And then, hey, we're going to play three teams at the end of the year and um, we'll maybe one of them will have the same uh, caliber of talent because it took Michigan. Like it wasn't Penn State, Michigan State. It was Michigan who finally did the damage this year. They crushed Michigan State and that was supposed to be the team to beat. So yep. they need more of a – I think that these bigger schools – just need to play bigger schools and stuff. Like, just stop wasting everybody's time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, how about a topic that we didn't get to that you wanted to, to touch on? Okay. So it would have basically been a 
just us airing some grievances type episode. But like I had this episode just called like I'm over it because this pandemic has brought a lot of different things that I'm really just the fuck over in terms of like the internet, the TV, all this kind of stuff. I mean, even today, Jess and I were talking about like those, um, the CD says, CDC says jokes that are like plopping up all over the internet. Like we're at three days of this and people are still cracking these fucking jokes. I'm just like, dude, like I'm just over shit like this. You know, I'm over, um, dumbass headlines where actors are unrecognizable and the only unrecognizable actor we've had in a performance has been Jared Leto in uh, House of Gucci and stuff like I'm all over I'm over fucking videos of like um, kids playing sports that don't do jack shit you know like there are videos out there and a bunch of them on House of Highlights and on ESPN where it's a kid swinging a bat at a tee and it's like oh yeah he's got a great swing is this ESPN worthy you know like mm-hmm. I want to see a kid outright dominate on the field or something like give me like some cool juke moves or they just plow through somebody I, I don't care that a kid can swing a bat really good you know what I'm saying so like there's just a lot of dumb crap that is seeming to be more of a thing now than it ever has been because of this content machine that needs to be fed. And a lot of it, I'm just, I'm over it. So I wanted to put an episode together that is just a big area of grievance, maybe throw some positive things in there too. But like, I feel that there's a lot of things that are in the world today that you and I could throw some grievances about. Oh, absolutely. Gemma, absolutely. <laughs> that, that, that would have been, <laughs> I, I'm not sure if anyone wants to hear us complain for two hours necessarily, but <laughs> like, yeah, absolutely. It, it's, um, I mean, not that we have, not that, we, not that we'd have to do it around Christmas time, but we could call it like the festivist episode. <laughs> right. That's I right. got a lot of problems with you people. Now <laughs> yep. you're all going to hear about it. Um, I, I can get a poll. I have yeah. no, I'll find a poll. <laughs> get, and then we can do our whole fitness thing with the feats of strength. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, no, Chum, I, I am 100% with you on this that, yeah, I can't, boy, honestly, I can't believe that I didn't, that I independently didn't have that same idea for an episode for as much as like shit that I complain about. Um, uh, yeah, very, very possibly something that we could visit depending on the month. It's something that we could definitely visit, uh, th- going forward in 2022. Yeah. And I guarantee you there's going to be a lot of stuff that we can complain about in 2022. Dude, like I, like I mentioned it the last time we spoke, this whole dumb annual is such and such a Christmas movie conversation. Oh, God damn it. Like, we have like the internet has this conversation. There are people like sitting around wanting to bring this up. Like we are a bunch of fucking unintelligent idiots and stuff, you know? And like when we had our episode about like intelligence and stuff. And like, I remember like us kind of like having a little bit of a difference as far as like if the overall society was intelligent and like, you made some really great points about all the advancements and everything like that, about society being more intelligent. And then like, when I still see this, I'm just like, man, like I know we just, we just launched a really awesome telescope, but like, are we still headed in the right direction? (laughs) I don't know. It's just, there's, I know that I know that Twitter also represents a very, very like small section of the populace, but it also happens to be like one that I, that seems to be like this, um, source of information like i mean the, the news reports on tweets it's all this crap that comes from twitter and i'm just like we need now is like i think we're getting to a point in time where like some of this stuff is um it's just played out like how are we really doing the die hard as a christmas movie thing isn't that like a five years ago discussion but it seems like it's more popular now than ever and then guess what around every holiday now in 2022 no matter what it is if there's a movie that came out 
that just happened to take place on Flag Day, it'll be like, oh, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days is a Flag Day movie, and we're going to be dealing with this for a, a while now. I just have this feeling, and I'm over it. I, yeah, I am too. And it's because, you're right, like, I mean, there's obviously, like, a lot of Twitter users, um, but I feel like the, the people that want to get into these arguments on Twitter represent a segment of people that really think, and I don't I don't know how else to put this. So it's they represent a segment of people that really think that they're uh, 140 care or whatever it is now. Um, is it 280 now? 280. Yeah. You bet. Uh, they think that their 280 characters actually matter at all to anyone. <laughs> right. I know, man. And I mean, they don't. Like, I mean, like, it's not that, like, like I'm on Twitter and I, I like to give people shit sometimes or whatever. But, like, I, I fully recognize that me just tweeting into the void is me just tweeting into the void. Whereas... Right. There are people that think that, like, that, like, they get into these arguments about something stupid as fuck, like, is Die Hard a Christmas movie, is either going to change someone's mind or contribute to some, like, positive discourse. It's not. You're just wasting your own fucking time. Your own, I'd say your own breath, but you're wasting your own keystrokes. Yeah. No, that is, that is exactly right, dude. And... I like there are people every day that like live for like the latest Twitter thing to happen of the day. Like um, somebody will do like you could it's it's everything. It's like, oh, this album influenced me or um, hey, take a movie, keep one person, replace everybody else with Muppets. And then like, you know, there's people that like just jump all over this. Like that was something I saw a couple days ago is like, hey, people um, take a movie, keep one character leave everybody else's Muppets. And like, I am just like, okay, like I'm waiting for this person, this person, this person to all have their take on it and go figure all of the people that I expected to have their own dumb take on it had one and they were all fucking stupid. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like, Oh, here's, let's take the thing. Keep Kurt Russell, make everybody else Muppets. Go fuck yourself. Asshole. (laughs) Like, who are you? So I just, I'm kind of over some of this stuff. And like what seemed to be like, I don't know. It's just, it's just to me, maybe it seems like it happened less. Like there's always these dumb little things that everybody kind of does on the internet, these little trends, but it seems like we're now getting these like daily, some of them, maybe a couple different ones a day. And I'm just like, all right, like enough, uh, just enough. Like there's this one woman who does a um, six words or less story. So every fucking morning it's, um, she posts a picture and write a story about this picture in six words or less. Like, Oh, we're still doing this after two years. Like yeah. people are still like excited to do this crap. Like, come on. It's just, I feel like it makes us look like, um, it just makes us all look fucking dumb. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There is, um, I've, I have, I have my own personal, Similar, well, that's similar, but I have my own personal story that touches on this. That'll it'll be quick. Um, a couple of years ago, when I was when I was um, what was I? I was watching. I was going back and watching Star Trek Enterprise, the one with Scott Bakula and Jolene Blaylock, and um, it's totally fine. Like it, it's it's an interesting kind of take on star on Star Trek before like Starfleet or before the United Federation of Planets existed. It's like in the twenty sixties, I think. Um, yeah, uh, it's kind of interesting. But anyway, it, the have you ever heard like the opening theme for that? I have not. It is not at all what you'd expect, at all. Okay. And you know, thinking think of all the other Star Trek themes, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's not at all like that. Um, to the point where, like, when I when like when I watched the first episode, there's like a cold open, and then it kicks into the the theme song. I thought I was watching the wrong show. 
Um, <laughs> like really thought I was watching the wrong show. Um, so like I, I made it, so I made a tweet that had like, you know, I, I tweeted out, um, list of, you know, ranking the, ranking the Star Trek themes best to, you know, best to worst. And then like I put like next generation, um, original series. It doesn't really, basically the next generation is my favorite of the Star Trek themes. And yeah, the rest of the order didn't matter. So then I, so then I put like a whole bunch of like uh, space holders and then I put at the bottom Star Trek Enterprise at like number 199 or something like that and in the middle it was yeah. any future Star Trek installments um now for the next 200 years and then the at the bottom was Star Trek Enterprise and mm-hmm. some fucking nerd um came on like well I'd rather listen to that opener than the score that's on Discovery and I'm just like hey dude it's a joke Mm-hmm. B, no one, like, I do not give a shit. Like, this is clearly right. a joke that I'm not responding to. So I shoved him back into his fucking locker and walked away from that story. I'm like, people just, like, they really think that, and, you know, I'm just putting it out there just because why not, but there are people that really think they're going to come, like, change my mind or something. It's a fucking right. joke. Your words don't matter. Get over it. Yeah. Oh, my God, dude. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. I, there's a couple instances in recent memory that are somewhat comparable, but it, it drives me fucking crazy. Like why, it's why, like, are you, why are you tweeting at me? I have like 300 <laughs> followers and probably half of them are bots. Like, why are you even why are you even like scouring the Internet for like my tweet? Right. Like, do you have anything else better to do that day? Like, no, <laughs> it's dumb. It's dumb. It's, it's dumb. Like Jess made this post about like, cause she was frustrated like people about like Ohio and just like, she just couldn't take it. All the COVID stuff, all this bullshit with the state. People were like going after her, like full on, like, and it was just like, dude, fuck off. All right. Like, you know, we could, she could be mad because her flight got canceled because this place is a COVID fucking soup. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, that's okay for somebody to be mad. Like you don't have to fucking like, you know, take down somebody when they're going through an emotional thing, you know, it's ridiculous. Like, yeah. fuck these people. Oh man. Yeah. I think, I think this just turned into a mini I'm over an episode. <laughs> I did. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, no, but yeah, that's definitely something we could probably, yeah, there's, there's room for it. Probably any, any point in time uh, that we could kind of do that. Um, Chema, I actually, I wanted to do a time travel follow-up, um, but we just, it just never like really presented itself exactly. And I, I wanted to get away from, like, you know, the first time travel episode. Obviously, we did plenty of, like, pop culture stuff with it. But we did cover a lot of philosophical um, time travel ideas, um, which is really right. kind of where, for the most part, time travel exists now, basically just in philosophy. Um, mm-hmm. But there obviously, we also, we did get into some, like, sort of technical technical stuff and mechan- the mechanics of it, of how it could work and, and you know, the, the conditions for it to work, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I kind of wanted to do a follow-up that would get away from a lot of the philosophical and technical stuff and, like, mm-hmm. go through stuff like, you know, how do you think it would practically work? Like, you know, would it be something like opening up a tunnel? How would that tunnel get opened up? Or would it be right. probably not a DeLorean, but, like, would, would there be a vehicle that needed, yeah. that needed to transport us through time? Um, what would it look like? Would it, like, visually be anything? What would it feel like? Mm-hmm. Would, it, would there be a feeling to it? Um, what do you, what do you think if, you know, not necessarily us individually, but like as a species or, you know, whoever is the first, you know, society, country, whatever that has time travel, what do you think the first thing they're going to go back and do? Like, what, what, what would be it? Like, (laughs) what would be the first thing? Um, there's gotta be a first for it. Um, and then like, then to kind of keep it more pop culture-y, at least as far as like, you know, you understand and like you comprehend or like you think about time travel, what, what piece of entertainment is like the closest 
to it. Mm -hmm. it either, either in practicality or at least in how you think of it. And then, like, stuff like, you know, what paradox do you think actually might arise from, you know, from, you know, we talked about all the paradoxes and, like, inconsistencies that could arise from right. time travel. Which one do you think is the most most reasonable? And then, obviously, Chumma, we have to end with a movie pitch. Yeah. Oh, of course. Definitely. Oh, my God. Yeah, no, I like this a whole lot, actually. I think this is a, would have been a really cool idea to the time travel follow-up and stuff. And you ask a lot of really great questions that... I feel, number one, we could do a lot of stuff with in terms of the discussion. And then number two, I actually bring some like real thought into the equation. Like what would be the first thing that like America does when it has a time travel machine? Mm -hmm. And I th th there's a lot of different things that are kind of scrolling through my mind right now. But, um, you know, it would be great to like land on one of those, think about it, and then have someone of the discussion. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and actually like we could, you could literally do it like where would america go first where would england go first where would mm -hmm. you know where would the people of uh, you know where the people of argentina go next first like right, there's right. really there's really just a lot of interesting kind of uh, a room to expand on it like i just you know like it's it gets away from again it gets away from like yeah. some of the technical stuff and we've talked about like the philosophical ideas like a time versus b time um mm -hmm. and, and like that kind of stuff and it's just like so all right so what are we going to do with this Right. And oh, my God, even, what about the stuff that we don't do anything about? Like, you right. know, like if a choice has to be made, what are we choosing to go back and fix that we're not going to go back and fix? You know, like what, what things are being what's number two and three? You know what I'm saying? Like, do we forego World War One in favor of something else? I, I don't know. Right. You know, whatever it is, like what what's the opportunity cost here? Right. Exactly. Exactly. There's there, yeah. There's there's just a lot of room for discussion on this. And again, very possible that uh, this could come up uh, at some point in time next year. Yeah, I would welcome it, dude. I think that's a great discussion. Plus the movie, like I actually really, I don't. Did we do any movie pitches last year? I don't think so. I don't think I'm we did like either. Struggling to think of one, but I don't think we did. And not, definitely not like a full fledged one. I think we've. I think we had some ideas for stuff, but like I don't think we did a full fledged one. Yeah, in, in 2020, I think we did it a couple times, but not in 2021. Yeah, so that's that's something that uh, that's something that I think we need to bake in a little bit more often, simply because it's just it's just it's fun, <laughs> funny, and like I kind of I love like picking through like our some of the stuff that we present. Like it's actually pretty fun. Oh, without a doubt, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> All right, uh, where where I lost my spot here. Uh, oh, there we go. Um, so, anything that you think you need to clean up in terms of your own personal performance oh, on, the, on the podcast, uh, obviously. Oh, without a doubt. Number one, better outlines. Number two, a uh, a more direct and quicker to the point kind of with my dialogue and stuff like that. It's just there's sometimes where I don't know, man. Like it's kind of fun to get lost in stuff that's not the point it could be funny and you know we kind of have these tangency conversations but i think getting to what i need to get to faster is definitely one and the outlines are definitely the other one <laughs> i think i think we both need to get to our points faster but what's what's really interesting when i go through and i i'm i'm poking through for um you know for sound clips to to put online mm -hmm. um what's really interesting is that you seem to get to you either get to a point within 25 seconds or it's a minute and 25 seconds like <laughs> like you either get to it right away like because there's recently when i posted some clips like you get to the point really fast and i'm like well if i add anything else to this i'm kind of like he already got to it like he mm -hmm. his, this is a complete thought that's really great and like it's a nice clip 
I don't think I should add anything more to it because you got to it right away. And then there's other times where like I'm, you start something. I, I just remember there was one you were you were talking about. It was recently you were talking about Tarantino in some capacity. I can't remember um, what exactly, but like the point started, and then all of a sudden, like three and a half minutes later, you kind of finished the point. I'm like, mm-hmm. there it is. <laughs> like, I was, yeah, I was waiting for yeah. it to conclude. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I need to be more like in the direct sense and stuff. And like when I there are sometimes when like I write out like what I'm saying, not like word for word, but there are like certain points I'm trying to hit. And like there's like where I get to one sentence and then like, okay, I can do something with that. But it doesn't really go back to what I'm really trying to get to. So and with all of the like, um, I guess, like podcast listening and like listening to the radio and stuff that is one of the things that I need to do a better consistent job of is getting to like the point faster and more consistently. And cause even there are some times where when it becomes something that is longer, even I find myself getting lost in whatever, really trying to get yes. lost, trying to get back to what I'm saying. And it's just because there are some times where <clears throat> there's a lot of ground to cover. There's a lot of opportunity for humor, something like that. But I need to, what I need to do is just like, if I'm going to take four sentences where I have like, two objectives, which is to make a point and to maybe make a joke. I need to cut that four sentences into like a sentence and a half. Yeah, that was, and I'm agreeing with you. That's actually something I put down here for myself too, that like, I, I will sort of, as I'm, as I'm going, it's almost the Michael Scott thing where like, sometimes I just start a sentence and try to find it along the way. It's not quite like that, but like, I know I'm opening up the pathway to go down, you know, to go down a certain train of thought. And then literally as I'm, as I'm going through something, something else, like something I said, or possibly even something you said, sort of spark something else. And I'm right. like, oh, right, this is related to this too. And it's like, yeah. now I've just taken a fucking hard right. And then like something else kind of sparks. And like I turn veer again and it's like, fuck, where the hell was I going with this? Like, right. oh, right, go get all the way back to it. Like I have to, I do have to like get, be more conscious of like getting lost in my own, in my mm-hmm. own thoughts, my own sentences I will say this, keep this in mind. I don't do, I really don't do a ton of editing on this. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I take some things out, clean up the, clean up the transitions as best I can, whatever. But for the most part, I just let it go. The reason why, like, you listen to, you know, listen to a more professional podcast, they have a person that is listening to the entire show again and clipping out all kinds of shit and getting it, really condensing it so that, you know, whoever it is, you know, whether it's something, you know, it's uh, how did this get made or something. So, like, Paul Shear and June and, and Jason sound more coherent. They're editing a lot of shit out. Yeah. Oh, I, I definitely know. I mean, you could, you could tell when you listen to some of this stuff. Like, even when, like, there are conversations that just kind of, like, abruptly end. Like, they just start playing music and stuff. Yeah. And I'm just like, okay, was the last part of that completely unusable? Like, could you maybe do something to flawlessly get out of it quicker? You know, there, there's just a lot of different editing and stuff that goes into yeah. it. Like I, I, I'm picking up on even when um, certain changes in dialogue, like what, even when they try to like Frankenstein a conversation together, you can kind of hear it oh, and yeah. stuff. And um, like, I, you know, I, I almost feel that like if, if there was somebody behind, if we had like the producer and stuff like that, like, Oh yeah, we'd take Mark Barron to the cleaners. Like in terms of like a podcast sometimes, you know, it's oh, just, yeah. uh, but um but like that is something for the future, I guess. Yeah, uh, if I hope we're in a position to hire someone to go through and <laughs> yeah. edit all our podcasts. Like it's it sounds it sounds lazy, but it's really not. It's like I don't really want to. We've been we've been at this now for like close to you know two and a half hours. Like 
I don't want to sit down and re-listen to this thing again. I just don't have right. the time. Like, I, oh, yeah. I have another job. My job is not podcast engineer. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly, and stuff. Yeah, and, like, to be honest with you, like, I think that there is definitely a little bit more of an organic quality to it when it is just, you know, the freeform conversation than when you are, like, having all these edits and stuff like that into it. You know, sometimes it's good, but there are some times when I notice um, edits, it just it sounds incomplete to me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I also I also put on here, this is something that I do a lot, and I've already caught myself doing it multiple times this episode, and I'm, I'm trying to mentally get through it or figure out another way to sort of to sort of minimize this particular tick. I really have to limit my vocal pauses. I do a mm-hmm. fuck ton of uh um yeah meh, mm, right. in between. I do it way too much. I, I one of the other pod one of the other podcasts that I listen to, um the one of the hosts, she gets roasted all the time for her vocal pauses because she says um a lot. And you know, I, I I suppose if it's something that is it's almost kind of like a part of her persona so right for her kind of to do it it's a little bit different i don't think it's anywhere near as charming as when i do it so i really need to like mentally <laughs> focus on not doing that no i i get what you're talking about for me the only way that i'm able to do that less is i almost kind of have to get locked into a you can even you can hear it even in certain times like you, there's even been times in this episode where i've gone there where my voice becomes a certain distinct voice and it becomes like a certain distinct like cadence. Like I have to go to this kind of place to be able to do that. And it's hard. Like it just is hard to like, you know, like I'm going to now adjust my non-vote to my non-vocalized pause voice. It's fucking hard. (laughs) So it's something that like, anybody everybody like suffers from that dude unless like you're in this um you know where you've been to broadcasting school and you've been on the air for 40 years like that is just like a general thing that people that people oh, it's deal hard. with yeah it's hard, it's so and, hard. It's, and it really stands out when again when i go to put clips together and i'm like i'm going through and just editing out all of my ums and ahs <laughs> right, just, right i'm like yeah. god damn it i did it this is 40 seconds and i say um four times like what am i doing uh-huh. I know what you mean, man. I know what you mean. (laughs) Good lord! All right. Any uh, anything else? uh, Anything else in the in uh, this sort of uh, you know the review of us that? I'm good. I want to move on to these mini episodes because I'm kind of excited for these. <laughs> okay. All right. So let's move on to it. The Occasionalists. Um, this is where a quick segment. We're each going to host a mini blind episode, complete with a couple of questions the other has not seen. It can be on anything. Uh, Chem, I want you to start it off. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. So one of the episodes that I've been wanting to do, but I don't have enough source material on to do a full one, um, is this whole kind of like where we're going in terms of like how politics are portrayed in entertainment. And um, I still, I I don't have as large a sample size as I would like, but I do have at least enough to get through this mini episode. And um, the last the last year and some change, I have seen three different examples where our modern political climate has been infused into a movie or a TV show in some way. These three examples are The Hunt, the Damon Lindelof movie, which um, which I, I loved, uh, Why the Last Man, and mm-hmm. Don't Look Up, Okay, the, the Adam McKay movie yeah. that just came out. Now, out of these three movies, I personally feel... And I, I hate to do this, but I don't know which way to do it. But like one does it right. The other two do it wrong. OK. And the hunt is the one that does it right. 
the why I feel it does it right is because the hunt juxtaposes what we have in the real world. They take these stereotypes and these images and these characters and these personas and they flip it. It's the liberals who are like hunting the conservatives and stuff where I feel that any other movie would be the other way around. And it's also funny. They do a really good job. There are some things that, you know, when retrospectively you could maybe pick out a couple of lines where it's just like, okay, yeah, that probably should have been in there. But while I was watching it, I thought it was funny. You know, it, it seemed like there were some things that kind of took me by surprise in terms of some of the humor. Um, that is me feeling that that's how you do it right with, in terms of incorporating political stuff into uh, entertainment, especially what we just went through in terms of political stuff. Why the last man and don't look up, I think do this wrong. Okay. And when I say wrong, we're hearing like actual terminology that is used in the political landscape today on TV, like Rhino, the do-nothing Democrats, stuff like that. And there's mm -hmm. a lot of that in Why the Last Man. And it kind of turned me off. It really like turned me off from it. It's like, I don't want to watch these characters on TV. I can't stand these characters in real life. Like, I know what you're doing. I know that it's a very accessible character to hate, but like, I'm going to turn off Why the Last Man go to Twitter and then find Marjorie Taylor Greene saying everything almost word for word is what's in the episode, you know? So they are, I don't know if it's, they're going for this like realism thing or whatever, but it just kind of turned me off because I just don't really want to see that kind of stuff in terms of entertainment. And in Don't Look Up, which is this movie that I've been waiting for the whole year. Like if there's ever a reason for me to have Netflix, it was our short film festival and this movie. I was waiting for this movie to come out. Love Leo. I thought Adam McKay did a great job with the big short. Um, and Jennifer Lawrence, Chalamet, Meryl Streep, Jonah Hill, this amazing cast that they assembled for this movie. And I'm watching it and I'm like, I'm not feeling this. And like what they're doing is, you know, trying to satire stuff. But the way that our political landscape is, is that it's like almost like beyond satire. Like what I'm watching here is a um, like I feel it would happen. Like if, if this was a, an actual comet coming towards the Earth, what we watched and don't look up would actually happen. And a lot of the stuff that they get into is even though the movie is an, an allegory for climate change, this actually happened in the pandemic. So like I'm almost watching this movie where like it's supposed to be funny that these idiots are like bungling a crisis. Well, we just fucking went through that, you know, and like now I'm on. Keep in mind, I'm also on the plane watching this. And I'm from my story earlier. It wasn't necessarily the most enjoyable flight, mm -hmm. but I was kind of turned off from some of this stuff. I appreciated the performances. I actually think the idea for this movie is really good. But it's just coming out at a time that is just completely like wrong. And I don't feel that this movie is doing the job that it should in this time period. I think maybe like five years ago, if it would have came out, this would have been amazing. This would have been like a groundbreaking piece of satire. But now it's just kind of like lost to me. And I feel that we're going to be maybe seeing more of this kind of stuff. And it just kind of bugs me because they're not doing a good enough job of drawing the line between entertainment and like the stuff from the real world that pisses everybody off, you know? So my experiences with why the last man and don't look up were not as positive as they were with the hunt, which I thought, like I said before, did everything right. 
um, in terms of incorporating our political landscape into a form of entertainment. So um, one of the questions that I do have for you is, um, so like we're obviously going to be seeing more of these kinds of stories. And I just want to ask you, like, what of like the usual genres of films, like drama, comedy, horror, like what genre do you think would work best for, I guess, translating our current political cli- political climate into entertainment? I mean, I think <clears throat> I think the easiest and the most obvious answer is horror that you you know, the hunt is, you know, it's a type of horror movie. Um, mm-hmm. I haven't, I haven't seen the hunt. I actually have been meaning to, um, especially as, especially as conservatives keep crying cancel culture. Um, <laughs> it kind of makes me want to see the hunt more and more. Cause I mean, you could put, you could point that allegory directly at it, um, mm-hmm. that these people are being canceled. Um, but I, I think the easiest answer is horror. And I think, and I think the reason why, um, is because, because it's really, we're, we're entering a point in time where there are more, um, there are more, there's a more diverse, um, set of voices in horror, obviously being headlined by like Jordan Peele right now. Um, Mm -hmm. but there are, you know, behind him, there are other filmmakers of other, you know, other races and ethnicities that are going to, that are making horror movies. And so we're going to get, we're going to get not just like the black experience in, in white America and how that could be, you know, how that could be a horror story. But the Asian experience. There is just recently the most recent season of the um, of the Terror on AMC takes place in a Japanese internment camp. Um, so we're going to get the Asian experience. We're going to get the Hispanic experience or the Latin 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 and Latinx experience. We're going to get a lot of you know the gay experience. There's go, there's definitely going to be a, a horror movie at some point in time that shines light that shines a light on the LGBT horror experience in America. Um, mm-hmm. That there's that that I think that's why just the the diversity of voices in that particular genre are going to tell stories that are relevant to them and their experience in how nightmarish their experience and discrimination is versus, you know, like we can do the, we've recently, we've done the straight, you know, the straightforward, like the, the Comey rule. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, we've done the straightforward sort of political dramas that are either directly, you know, someone's playing Trump, someone's playing Comey, someone's playing Hillary, or, or at least they're like a, you know, characters that are alluding to it. I just don't think that's as interesting because the you know when you when you think about palace intrigue, the fucking real story playing out in the news every day is more interesting than some of these movies. Mm-hmm. So I think right. I think it's going to be horror is where all this stuff pops up simply because you're going to have a lot of different sort of horror stories to tell in the coming years. Yeah, and like see, I agree with you, and like I actually want horror to be the only genre that tells these political tales. I think people need to be reminded about how much of a fucking nightmare it was having to have this administration and the, the previous administration in office and how we don't want to go back there. Like, don't look up, almost make these people like the, they're technically the bad guys, but it's like, Oh, they're so aloof. And there's this sort of like stupid charm to them and everything. And I'm like, we don't need to see these people being humanized in any way, shape or form. You know, like these people like in the last regime, like are responsible for a lot of stuff that's going on around today, not to mention an attempt to overthrow the United States government. Like, I don't think we need to like humanize or make it cute. The level of stupidity that was in the prior administration. And that like, with don't look up and everything. That's kind of like what it is like, Oh, Jonah Hill. It's like, he's Don jr. But like, yeah, he's kind of funny and he's got this like stupid asshole charm to him. And Meryl Streep looks amazing, but she like has no fucking clue and doesn't want to do the job. Like, no, we don't need to like see that stuff. Like to me, that's not funny because 
we literally had the administration like doing everything just that. Like if there was an asteroid that was coming or a comet that was about to crash into to the, the world, I'm afraid that like we just saw like in this movie, like what would happen if the Republicans were in office, you know, like a complete ignoring of it, only using it um, to whenever it could benefit them politically. And then even going against the science and telling people not to look up in the sky, <laughs> you know, I mean, this was just almost too much of like what I feel is um, not how this should be done and stuff. Like we don't need to make these people lovable and all this other crap. You know, I think that horror is the way that, that this, that this needs to go. You know, people need to be reminded that this was a scary fucking time and that we're going to be fucked if we allow it to happen again. So I, I think that horror is the only way to teach people that lesson. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I'm with you on that. I will, I will say this though. I haven't seen don't look up yet. I'm on the fence if I actually want to watch it or not. Um, because generally the, the, I heard some people say it's funny. Um, maybe it is, but it sounds like it's a fucking disaster otherwise. Um, <laughs> and I heard, a, I, I, uh, I can't remember what podcast I was listening to, uh, this week, but no, they reviewed it. And I heard one of the most interesting reviews on it. Um, one of the big problems as you, as you're pointing out the, this admitted, like it's too, the making them Republicans and making them dumb or, or aloof is too obvious right now. Mm -hmm. They needed to right. be like hardcore liberals who were quote unquote, who would quote unquote be on the side of, um, you know, on the side of green energy and st stemming climate change. Like they needed mm -hmm. to be people that you would think would be progressive. Um, right. To point out like the satire, like the, Hey, guess what? We've had a lot of democratic presidents and guess what they've done about the environment. Yeah, Nothing. not a lot, not that much. Not yeah, that much. that's right. Yeah, um, <laughs> right. You know, that's where the, that's where like, the satire come in. So like, there's that's like one huge problem. But I will disagree with you on this because I, I actually this is a really good point. Like picking climate change as the allegory is like like it's too simple. Like the the reasons behind us ignoring it are too simple. Like we're distracted by pop stars. Like is that is that why we don't build enough windmills? like it's it's yeah. just it's too simplistic climate change is a worldwide problem with a lot of individual like with a lot of cascading problems underneath them that is going mm -hmm. to be it's not just like you know if we just stop driving cars like okay that would be one thing that we could do but that's not going to solve climate change like there's right so much that needs to happen it's it's in and of itself it's like a bad allegory because if there was something if there was, like, if we knew that a comet was going to fucking slam into our planet, Chama, we're not ignoring it. We're fixing it. Like, every, even if the United States didn't, guess what? There's fucking 200 other countries on the planet that will do something about it. Like, it's... Right. It, it's... So, like, that's where, like... That was, like, the critique of the movie that I found the most interesting, beyond, like, the performance stuff. It was just that, like, it's... The allegory is just flatly incorrect. Like, it's these things... The reasons why these things are happening aren't the reasons why they're presented to us through this movie. So like if that's the case and the satire misses the point, which is kind of, yeah. kind of bad in the movie that is satire. Right. Yeah. And like, well, that's in some of these interviews with Adam McKay, that's what he's saying. It's supposed to be this allegory for climate change. Right. I, stuff, I know it is. Yeah. Which, and it's so, just not like it can't, it can't be because you're missing the whole point or he's missing. Okay, he's, no, oh yeah. He's missing the whole point. No, I dude, I'm totally agree. I agree with you wholeheartedly. I don't, I didn't even think that, like, you know how there are some, like, movies where, like, the allegory is kind of, like, in your face and stuff? I didn't think this to be, like, if anything, I thought this was more of a representation about the fucking pandemic than it is climate change. And right, everything. right. So, so I, I, 
I guess like some of that was a little bit lost on me too. Like I, I had to be told that, like, I didn't think that that was the climate change part of it was that obvious. You know what I'm saying? Like right, maybe right. because, because it's incorrect, maybe it's because that's why it isn't that obvious or why it didn't ring. Me, <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Climate change isn't a comet coming to hit us. Climate change <laughs> is slowly like sitting in a room that is very slowly filling up with poison gas. Right. Like yeah, it's, yes. it's not obvious yeah. because it's not obvious. Like a right. giant asteroid coming coming towards us is really fucking obvious. <laughs> right. No, I got you, dude. I definitely understand what you're saying. And I, I agree with you on that wholeheartedly. Like some of the climate change stuff, I just I wasn't picking up on that. And I didn't really consider that a climate change thing at all. So, yeah. OK, awesome. So the um, the last question that I do have is um, so in this movie. Uh, Meryl's the president, you know, she's President Orlean, and it's this, like, you know, less intelligent, just not really caring, almost like an antagonist of a president. Are we going in this direction where, like, the president is going to be more of the antagonist in terms of, like, the media and stuff? Like, almost like the same way that, like, the the sitcom dad had shifted from, like, the smart guy to now he's, like, kind of like the idiot and, like, his wife is really intelligent and stuff. Are we seeing a shift from, like, where the president is like the hero in movies to more of like the president is not a good guy. That That's a really good question. Um, I think, I think as long as, as long as it's an action movie, the president mm-hmm. will, you know, and it involves like the, you know, the military, the right. government, etc. <laughs> the president will always be a good guy. Um, mm-hmm. Like, I think that's like a no doubt there, but yeah, like I think as far as like in comedy and even in drama, um, maybe not like a, Maybe not like an antagonist, but maybe someone who you would qualify as being at best neutral. So like, okay. not someone that you know the character wouldn't be someone that you would think would help you out. Like you just know that the the, the president's going to tow is going to tow the party line or tow whatever line keeps them out of the most trouble versus getting involved in the story one way or the other. I gotcha. Yeah. So we're not looking at like presidency presidents with agency anymore. Right. Like it's right. A, no. No more like, hero. No more hero presidents unless it's in some kind of action movie. Yeah. And like, I got to tell you, like that's the only place that I could really see it, but I don't even think that anybody's really beaten the door down to make air force one, the reboot. Oh, you know, oh, I, I, oh you're, you'd be incorrect. Oh, are they? Well, not, not air oh. force one, but, um, just so, um, I can't remember. I can't remember if it's, it's Olympus. Remember the movie Olympus down? Oh yeah. The Olympus movies or Olympus has fallen. Right. So that the first one with draw, they're all, they're all with Gerard Butler. Um, Gerard Butler, you know, the, the White House gets attacked. The second one is, um, gosh, White House what, Down? No, that, that's, White House Down came up at the same time as Olympus Has Fallen. Um, okay. it's Olympus Has Fallen, and then there's another one, and there's Angel Has Fallen, where, um, Gerard Butler is Angel, he's like the secret, head of Secret Service, he's like, that's their code name, Angel. Okay. Um, I, I'm, this isn't like something I just thought on my own, it was, it was another, I was listening to them talk about this movie in another podcast. And it was just, it, it, this is the natural progression of this. Um, Gerard Butler is going to be the president in the next one, right? Oh uh, Yeah, yeah, that's right. So yeah. we're going to have a president hero movie. Guarantee it. Just okay. whether it's next okay. year or year after, guarantee it's coming. Okay, so like just the natural progression of this particular franchise is, yep. is getting us there. Okay, yeah. I gotcha. Okay. Like, yeah. I just, and, then, and then also I, you can, at some point in time, the Kingsman is going to have one where the, the actual prime minister... Or, or someone in the royal family is one of the Kingsmen too. 
Yeah, that's, they're really doing pretty much, that's where that's kind of going to. I don't know how many more ideas they could possibly grind out with that particular movie franchise. But um, I can, you really don't need to see anything beyond the first one. I love the first one. It's good. I thought it's fun. the first one was fucking great. Did, yeah. Didn't really enjoy the second one very much. <laughs> the Statesman and all that stuff. Yeah. 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 No, I, I gotcha. Yeah. That's, I, you're right about that with the Kingsman movies. Like, I just, that is a franchise that I'm like, when I saw that they were making The Kingsman, I'm just, oh, wow, we're still, we're here. We're still going back to this. Yeah. Okay. But it's World War One this time, dude. <laughs> right. It's Ray Fiennes and it's Colin Firth's origin story or something. So, like, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So I'm, um, I, I don't know. I just like, I guess those particular franchises. Yeah. Like I just, I, but I, in general, I don't know if we're going to be beating down the door. It might be like one, but it also could be one of those things where like those movies where the president's a hero weren't like coming out every single year, you know, prior to the Trump administration. So we might get it on the same frequency for all I know, but I just, mm-hmm. I see more, I see more of what you were talking about, like a neutral character, not necessarily out to destroy like an, like an evil, like not necessarily that, but I think we're not, ne- we're getting more of the like less heroic, you know, yeah. not a, not a presidency who takes a president who takes action. Right. Exactly. Someone that sort I guess, I guess the, at least in most, at least how I would see it, like the allegory would be that like, the government isn't really here to help you either way. Like you, you are just, you were one person to them. You're not like, Mm -hmm. you are not collectively Mm -hmm. as important as like a collective voter base, if you will. So yeah, the president isn't going to go out of his way to help you or her way to help you. Yeah, I gotcha. Definitely understand. Yeah. Okay, dude. Yeah, that was my that was my mini sode. Thank you very much for your uh, participation there. I'm, I'm glad I got to get that in there because I just don't have enough material right now to do a full episode on that. Kind yeah, of I gotcha. No, that was good though. That was a nice little. Um, that was a nice little seg. I was not expecting it to go that direction, um, but that's kind of the point of this, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> but I dig it. I dig it, Chama. All right, Chama, <clears throat> get your get your thinking cap on because I'm popping out a surprise sports trivia segment. Um, All right. Like I said, like I really enjoyed doing this the first time around, and I'm not really sure. I, I'm not really sure if we're gonna do like another whole episode like that again. Um, I mean, I guess we could. There's nothing stopping us from doing it. But I think I think we could kind of pepper in sports trivia, movie trivia. We could tr- pepper in that stuff here and there when mm-hmm. the episode calls for it. Yes, definitely, of course. So. Uh, get ready for your first question. This is this is a tough. They're all. I'll say this. They're all. One isn't tough because it's just like you basically just, you're just going to guess a number. But um, mm-hmm. these are tough questions. Otherwise, I think so. You know, all really right. really prep yourself for this. <clears throat> gotcha. All right. Um, actually, I'll, I'll give you the choice. The first one involves trophies. The second one involves NASCAR, and mm-hmm. the third one involves baseball. So, like, which which one of those would you like to take on first? Let's do NASCAR. <laughs> NASCAR, all right. All right, so I should have written the year down, but I think it was 1965. Ned Jarrett holds the record for the largest margin of victory in a NASCAR race. Within two, within two, how many laps, how many laps did Ned Jarrett win a NASCAR race by? Within two laps, okay. Um, largest margin of victory, let's say 63 laps. 63 laps. That's your final answer. Final answer. You are massively off. I don't know how many events. 
necessarily. That would be ridiculous. Um, I have no idea about anything about NASA. I know cars drive around and supposedly better if you go to it instead of watching it on TV. <laughs> well, it's 14, 14 laps. And okay. that's, by the way, that's by a lot. Um, like, think about it this, think about it this. It takes them, um, it, depending on the size of the track, it takes like about like anywhere from like, you know, f- anywhere from like 20 to 30 seconds to get around the track. Um, mm-hmm. So multiply that by 14. Um, that's a long time for vehicles that yeah. are exceeding 150 miles an hour. That's uh, right. That's a long, long time. So if, if they won by 63, um, I don't know, did everyone die for like a short period of time? <laughs> right. That's <laughs> a real massive problem in the uh, pits or something yeah. like that. No, okay. but that's that's actually, from my understanding, that's what happened. Like there was like, a, well, there was, like multiple wrecks that mm-hmm. stopped the race. And depending on like your position, you don't like until like you get back to the pack of the pace car, you can still like kind of go around. So to my understanding, like he won a race that was like marred by, by wrecks. And like okay. a lot of people didn't finish. A lot of racers didn't finish. And because he managed to not like get into a wreck, um, he was able to sort of just continuously lap the field. Okay. I gotcha. Okay. Interesting. Very interesting. 14. Yeah. Okay. Now after getting that explanation, that makes a lot more sense. Gotcha. Yeah. It was, there is, I, I was, I was just kind of curious. Cause like, I don't really know much about NASCAR either. And I figured that like, there's, you know, the, I remember like a couple years ago, someone won an, someone won an F1 race, uh, you know, the, the IndyCar types cars. Yeah. Someone won an F1 race by like 22 seconds, which is cars that are going 200 miles an hour. He won by 22 seconds. That's a huge yeah. fucking gap. That would be like Usain Bolt winning, mm-hmm. winning like a, you know, a, a 400 by, I don't know. He like, he went nine seconds and everyone else came in like 30, like 40 okay. seconds. Yeah. Um, yeah. Later. Um, so like, I don't know much about like racing and NASCAR in that regard. So I was looking for some stuff that was kind of interesting. And like, there's like a, there's like a whole like vein of like Richard Petty trivia. That's pretty insane. But like you had, even even some of that trivia, you would need to know more about NASCAR. This, I just felt like, was kind of like, basically pick a number. Yeah, I gotcha. Yeah, 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 definitely. And I totally picked a way off number, and <laughs> I'm okay with that, because I still know nothing about NASCAR. <laughs> I, uh, if someone wins a race by 63 laps, they had to be the only one running it at, at some point in time. Um, <laughs> Alright, so there you go. That's uh, that's Ned Jarrett, 1965, won a NASCAR race by 14 laps. Alright, so, um, baseball or trophy trivia? Let's go trophies. Trophies. All right, Chema. The Stanley Cup is the oldest trophy awarded in North American sports, the first awarded in 1893. The Carlisle Bells are the oldest known trophy awarded anywhere in the world. I'm not going to give you the year because it might give something away, so I'll give you the year afterwards. But okay. what sport are the Carlisle Bells awarded in? Okay, Carlisle Bells, and it's a sport that's older than the Stanley Cup. What would be that old? Uh, um, horse racing is horse racing your final answer it is you are correct Chama. horse racing oh very nice okay gotcha very nice literally bonus, was bonus. just thinking what's that oldest I was literally just thinking the oldest possible sports out there <laughs> yeah yeah uh, I'll give you a bonus point to well I guess you're not like going up against anyone but um, what year was the Carlisle Bells first awarded Oh gosh, uh, let's say like eighteen seventy-two. That's your final answer there. Final answer there. It dates back to possibly the fifteen eighties. Ooh, wow. Okay, wow. 
Yeah, wow. That may, I can see horse racing being around that long. That makes sense to me, definitely. Okay, I well, got horse racing's been sense. around since horses have been ridden by yeah, people. Yeah, yeah, right. So right. which goes by, yeah. by the way, before 1500s. Yes. Um, yeah, that, that makes sense. 1500s for sure. Um, yeah, the, the, the Stanley Cup isn't even the second oldest, or third, or fourth, or fifth, or sixth, or seventh, or eighth, or ninth. It's like the tenth oldest trophy. <laughs> wow. Okay, interesting. That uh, is really interesting, but I, I could, I could see where this whole thing would fall, like timing wise and stuff. I got, I got gotcha, you for yeah, sure. Yeah. All right, there you go. The Carlisle Bells. Good guess, Chama. Very good. All Thank right, you. so last one here. The oldest batter pitcher matchup uh, to result in a home run is com- ninety-one combined years of age between the batter and pitcher. So, pretty simply put, who was the pitcher and who was the batter? So 91 total years of age, yeah. uh, pitcher and batter. I would say uh, Nolan Ryan and Dave Winfield. Nolan Ryan and Dave Winfield. Is that your final answer? Final answer. You are incorrect. I'll give you one more shot at this. Okay. Uh, and I'll tell you, it's more more recent. It's more recent. And that's okay. all the only clue I'm going to give you. Oh, Jesus, God. Um... Let's see here. Uh, Albert Pujols and Kershaw. Not even close. No. Yeah, not even close. close. Incorrect. Um, I will tell you that it was it was in 2007, and it was Randy Johnson pitching to Julio Franco. Oh wow! Wow. Randy Johnson was 43, and Julio Franco was 48. Wow, dude. Okay, Randy Johnson like. I had totally forgotten about Julio Franco, and I'd been playing in the league that long, no less. At forty-eight years old, that is impressive. He played. He played one more. Well, one part of one more season in the United States when he was forty-nine. He retired from professional baseball. Can you take a guess? Like fifty-five. Well, what year? Oh, um, this would have been like uh, two thousand fourteen. Then two thousand nineteen, he retired from professional baseball. Jesus God. Wow. He was still playing in like the Mexican leagues and the Caribbean leagues a couple years ago. Um, Julio Franco is a wealth of trivia unto himself. He's the only player. Um, he's the only player of like recent. I guess you'd call it modern era. He mm-hmm. got a base hit off of someone that faced not someone off of a Hall of Famer that also gave up a base hit to Ted Williams. Oh, holy shit! Oh man! Wow. Okay. Wow. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. He's he was um like like he was one of the first guys back in the back in the early eighties who was he was already like he was into weightlifting, stretching. He was into physical fitness. He didn't drink. He didn't smoke. Um. He didn't eat. Like he didn't like he's for the past like thirty five or forty years he hasn't had like carbohydrates, sugar. Um, he was like, he would, you know, play a game and then like go work out afterwards and then wake up yeah. the next morning, work out before a game, play a game, work out afterwards. Um, like probably, may, probably maybe, maybe the most like fit baseball player ever. And that's how you play like professionally into your late fifties. 
Yeah, of course. Jesus. Yeah, I mean, you have to take care of yourself like that. I mean, look at freaking Brady. Is who knows the last time he's had a goddamn cheeseburger? Oh, seriously, probably, probably back when he was chugging beers. Is my guess. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but yeah, no, I did not know that, man. That is incredibly interesting. Oh, Julio Franco. What a. He also has. Um, I think he. What else was it? He's he's the second oldest to ever steal a base. He was forty eight when he stole a base, and. Uh, there's a guy like back in the 30s it was like 49 and there's something else that's bizarre about him um hold on let me look through it real quick here oldest player to hit a grand slam um at 47 broke his own record at, that he that he had at 45 <laughs> and there was something else um oh he's one of the few players in the 4000 professional hit club like okay. encompassing all leagues, you know, so like Pete Rose, Ty Cobb, Hank Aaron, um, someone named uh, Jigger Stats, Stan Musial, Derek Jeter, Ichiro, Jake Beckley, and Sam Crawford all have 4,000 hits across like Major League Baseball, minor leagues, mm-hmm. other professional leagues, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and Julio Franco's in that list too. Okay, yeah, that's a pretty elite list to be a part of, that's for sure, to be on a list with Ty Cobb, for crying out loud. Uh, yeah, I know, it's ridiculous. Um, yeah. That's that's it. I only had three trivia questions for you. I feel like I didn't want to like get too far down the rabbit hole here, but hey, I, I, was, I was kind of, like I said, I did this one today because for some reason I totally forgot to fucking fill it out like two weeks ago. Um, so I was like, well, this could be fun, just a little, little side, little uh, aside for, uh, you know, for some trivia here. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, dude, definitely. And I'm very happy that I had the, uh, I'm, I'm one and two, which is the Pac 12s record in the college football playoffs. So there you go. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Perfect. All right. Um, uh, anything else there, uh, that you, that you want to talk about with the UK list? Nothing, nothing right now, man. I'm looking forward to in the March of mini. So it's where we can kind of pick up this, uh, this format yeah. again. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be a lot of fun. All right. Uh, let's move on here. Our last segment or second to last segment, excuse me. Uh, old is new again and new to me. Um, we're just going to we'll go right down the list here. Tell me your favorite rewatch of 2021. Can be anything, show or movie, as long as you have seen it before and you're getting back into it. All right. So Jess and I watched Happy Gilmore for some out of nowhere. Nice. Uh, not that long ago. We were doing the Modern Family rewatch and stuff like that, just kind of looking for a show we could have on while we eat and everything. And um, with Julie Bowen being the star of Modern Family, we decided to watch Happy Gilmore too. Oh, still yeah. fucking really still enjoy fucking look, holds up. It holds up and really going to be that guy. Really enjoy watching Julie Bowen at any point in time in her life. Yeah. Oh my God. When um, I did see her running um, one day, like around where they shoot Modern Family in Cheviot mm-hmm. Hills, which is like north uh, west of us a little bit, and yeah, I almost crashed my car, but that's a whole other thing. <laughs> so, um, but uh, yeah, dude, like we were watching Happy Gilmore, still holds up. It's like there's just something about those early Sandler movies that is gold, you know, like just personally and also like just in general comedy gold, I think. And um, I really had a great time with it. And we had a great time with our modern family rewatch and dude, like modern family is one of the only shows that has gone 10 plus seasons since 2000, like at least in sitcom wise and stuff, it's yeah. not called law and order or CSI. Right. And like, I'm just like, wow, like that, I did not know that. And um, the fact that a show past 2005 got 10 seasons is just, a, it's a miracle to me. It's like, they don't seem to make them like that anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I like, I, that was one of the shows I dropped off of after like the fourth season. Um, <laughs> like, I, I'm not really, not particularly sure why, but like, I, I kind of do want to get back into it. But 
dude, Happy Gilmore, it is one of those movies. The la- I can't remember the last exactly the last time I watched it. I know it's been recent, and you know within the last like say like three years or so. Man, that fucking rips. That was that was mm-hmm. Adam Sandler at the height of his powers. He was so fucking fun. It was. It's still good, dude. All the the lines that I've heard a thousand times are still funny. There's like there's somehow stuff that like sounded fresh to me after all this time, and like it's just you know when we go back about it. There, I know that he can't do every one movie like that all the time, but it's just a reminder of exactly how fucking great he could be when he wants to be. You mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. which is his story of his life. I know, seriously, yeah. I, I would, I would, you're right. I think the, I think the, that sort of comedy for him is, is kind of, it's, it, it's, it's in the past, but mm-hmm. I, I still believe after seeing him, after seeing him in Uncut Gems, after seeing him in My Irwin Stories, um, like even, even something like Anger Management, like I know that there's like a, there's still a fastball in there somewhere Yeah, that if he somewhere. wants it, it's still there. Yeah, my one buddy um, came out here and he said, like, almost like I hadn't talked to him about Adam Sandler in God knows how long. Okay. And I asked him if he saw Uncut Gems. He's like, well, I haven't seen it yet, but that movie's evidence where it's just like, if he wants to, he could fucking act and do a great job. And it'd be like, I, it's good to see that other people basically share the same opinion as we do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, love it though, love it, um, Chuma. I I know I talked about it. So really, in the past like month and a half, I've I've gone back and, and started watching this again, pretty much while I work. Um, but I I've gone back and started watching Kids in the Hall from the beginning. Oh, nice, good fucking god! How it's it's so irreverent. It's so unabashedly Canadian in a lot of its in a lot of ways. But like, it still kind of transcends. It still transcends some of the Canadian tropes and some of the Canadian things they're talking about. And you know it, the the humor goes gets into stuff that you can that still is relatable. And mm-hmm. even though it's especially the early seasons are very of you know the late eighties, they still are sort of timeless. Like there are still some really timeless jokes, be they visual actual jokes, visual mm-hmm. jokes, whatever. They still hold up. And man, it's it is especially seeing like older Dave Foley just kind of mail in some stuff. <laughs> seeing right. younger Dave Foley, it's sim- very similar to the Sandler thing. Um, yeah seeing younger Dave Foley like really fucking commit to some of these bits as you know would be as the straight man in in the, in the sketch or like playing a fucking little kid in a sketch like mm-hmm. it, it is it is just delightful to watch to watch all of them sort of some of the premises of these of these sketches are absurd and to see yeah. all of them still like go full on into it it's so fucking delightful even even some of the sketches that don't fully work they still work because of like just like almost like the collective energy that they're all putting into the sketch. It still works, dude. That's really. I'm glad to hear that, man. Like I'm glad to hear you're watching it and stuff. And it's funny that you say that about Dave Foley because when we did our Canada episode, there was an episode of Superstore that aired like that I watched like that night. You know, it was on Hulu as like the new mm-hmm. episode, and Dave Foley was in it in a totally phoned in performance and stuff. And I was just like. I just got done telling Pagel that he should watch this show. And I was like, man, I don't know if I, maybe I made a mistake here and stuff, but he, he totally phoned that in. And I'm glad to hear that. Like, you know, just a nice shout out to the days where Dave Foldy wasn't phoning it in. Yeah, exa- exactly. I mean, you know, like I, Dave Foldy's got to be what? 63, 64. 
Oh yeah, yeah. Like, he's I, I think they're all like in their sixties at this point, um, which is again really depressing. But um, like I get it. Like you just don't have the same creative juice. But I mean, mm-hmm. Mark McKinney is in Superstore and he's still killing it. Yeah, he was really good. At, he's great in Superstore too. It's like they just they picked the wrong role for Dave Foley to play. I think. Yeah. And there's a couple there's a couple times when the guest star misses on that show, and it was just a the wrong role for that particular actor yeah yeah i gotcha but uh it's it's definitely if it's i believe i I don't know if all the seasons are are free on amazon but regardless if you can i mean even if you can't watch it on amazon i highly recommend just going onto youtube and and dialing up some kids in the hall sketches because it's it's just it's so fucking great it's so great yeah classic stuff right there all right how about something you discovered this year um you know so new to you even though it isn't actually new Oh, so this one is my music one on top of the playlist. I got really into this hip hop group or super group called Zarface, C Z A R Face. Oh yeah, and yep. and oh my God, is this good? Awesome. It's a um, a du- duo of Seven L and Esoteric, and also Inspect a Deck. Mm-hmm. And like, not gonna lie, man, I only found out about this because of the the, the album art, which like everything looks like a comic book, basically. Yeah, it's awesome. And. And I bought one of their records too, which is um, it's just basically some instrumental tracks. It was a record store day release. And when you get the vinyl, you open it up and it gives you a comic. It's the adventure of Zarface and everything. And since I bought this, I am all on this hype train. They have a uh, Zarface meets Ghostface with Ghostface Killer albums. Fantastic. The um, Zarface versus Metalface, the, yep. the MF Doom MF album Doom. with they have a c- couple ones. All really good stuff. I'm now on to the album Every Hero Needs a Villain, which is like their second, maybe their debut or their second album. Also, just amazing stuff. Like this was a really great like kind of find. I'm I'm a I'm more of a fan of the Wu Tang individuals and the side projects than I guess I am of the Wu Tang clan collectively. Like I like Wu Tang, but like just as Liquid Swords to me is like just as good if not better than oh, pretty yeah. much every Wu Tang oh, yes. clan album and stuff. Mm-hmm. So like um, I, I, I'm a big fan of like their their solo stuff. So this just kind of all a perfect storm of just like me randomly stumbling upon this, and I probably listened to Zarface once, twice, three times a week since maybe March or something like that. Like I mean, like I've just been all about this. I love it. So it's been a great little run, having a fun new kind of rap project to follow. Yeah, they are they're fantastic. Like. There, it's one of those. I forgot exactly how I got hip to him, but it was, it was recently too, and I think it was just through. Uh, I'm pretty sure it was just through Spotify's, like you know, like mm-hmm. uh, rate the radio, the algorithm based of the radio selections, um, right. that Zarface started trickling through, and um, I've been a fan ever since. Very good fucking pickup, dude. Like very good fucking pickup. <laughs> Yeah, I'm very happy with this decision. They're, they started to release, um, re-release some of his work with MF Doom and like other albums with alternate album artwork and clear vinyls and colored vinyls and stuff. Like, it's going to be something that in the next couple of years I have a fun time tracking down some of these and like kind of building up my physical media collection, yeah. which I did do a lot of this year. <laughs> Nothing else to do. Um, right? <laughs> do they did they not release something this year as well? I could be wrong. They. They did. They released a song for the Venom soundtrack. That's the, what it is. The Carnage. Yeah. I heard, I like the song. I don't know if I'm going to see the movie, but I do like their song. I've, I've heard, I've heard if you're not taking it too seriously, it's kind of okay. But okay. like, that's, that, that screams to me like something to watch when you're hungover. 
Yeah, that's right. And <laughs> you don't like, really care about it, it. It basically, if you have to file that disclaimer, then there's already some kind of thing that's a problem. Because I am going to take it seriously because I loved Venom and Carnage in the comics as a kid. Yeah. And uh, like that's something, if they, they were to say, hey, Adam, don't take this seriously. I'd be like, well, watch your tone there, sir. I'm going to take this however the <laughs> fuck I want to, <laughs> you know. But um, I... Um, I am all about this group. I'm hoping that there's maybe some kind of live show that they try to orchestrate coming up in the future because this was just really great, really great hip hop. And I love all this, you know, just creative uses of stuff. And like, they don't, they don't rap about the same kind of stuff that everybody else raps about. So I just, I don't know, man, I love all these weird Wu-Tang subsequent personalities that they create like Tony Starks and you know, all the Iron Man's, all this kind of stuff. I, I get a kick out of it. And this project just was right up my alley. It's, it's probably, it's kind of like, um, I don't know, hip hop comfort food for us. Because it's, yeah, it's yeah. I mean, this is, it, it might as well, Zarface might as well exist in like the late 90s. Like, right. they might as well. <laughs> so Yeah, no, that's exactly right. Even the way that it sounds, like a lot of these beats sound very like, like older sounding beats. You know, like they did a really good job of kind of like embracing some of those classic beat sounds that Wu-Tang made popular. But they have all these just like cool lyrics and stuff, you know, and I, I, I love it. I yeah. absolutely love it. Good choice. Thumbs up on Zarface. Um, and now I know yeah, next, uh, actually, I don't know if I'm going to the gym tomorrow necessarily, but we'll see that, but that's probably going to be, that's probably going to be like some of the first selections if I do go to the gym tomorrow, a little czar face to, to nice. get things started. So very good. This Very nice. Chema, this is actually my music one as well, but it's also, this is a two for one. Um, Ooh. Uh, this is a two for one. It's, uh, it's an album, it's an album called uh, Heart of Batman um, by, um, it, which is, it's actually a soundtrack from a documentary of the same name. Um, and the soundtrack, it, I guess the score slash soundtrack, is by a synthwave producer uh, that goes by Makeup and Vanity Set. Are you familiar? I have not heard of this at all. Makeup and Vanity Set, um, the, the guy who who's, you know, the, the producer is uh, Matthew Pusty, I think is how you pronounce his, his last name. Uh, but goes by Makeup and Vanity Set, and for the sake of brevity, I'm going to call him Mavs from now on. Um, that's, okay. how he, that's how he stylizes Makeup and Vanity Set. Mm-hmm. Um so I I had heard of Mavs before, but never really like dug really deep into their music, and this was one of those like Spotify, you know, random algorithm finds that you know like I've I've been into the I've been into the synthwave stuff for the last couple of years. So this kind of this album got pulled to the top um, as you know one of those like hey you might like this, and it was I was really I was very curious because like it, it's very clearly a soundtrack cover, um, mm-hmm. and I was like oh, well give it a try anyway and you know maybe it'll be interesting um this is this is the album is very superb because it it does function i I know we've mentioned this before we really haven't gotten too deep into it i am into soundtracks and movie scores like i just Mm -hmm. i will put them on and just listen to them in the background while i'm working or doing whatever like it's sometimes it's sometimes it's relaxing sometimes it's inspiring whatever like but I, i do i am one of those people who not necessarily like the you know like I don't know. I don't exactly know how to explain it, but like sometimes like the score is just something that it's just, well, the music's good. Like some of these scores are written by like world famous music producers. So, um, yeah. I'm into them. So like this, this functions really well as a score, uh, to a, you know, to a, you know, to a, to a movie, but it also functions on its own as just like a regular synthwave music. And, uh, this is sort of, this sort of inspired me to like, I was like, okay, so what is heart of, what is, what is heart of Batman? I'm going to go find this. 
and it comes from a 2018 documentary um, called Heart of Batman about the Batman animated series. And oh, wow. That actually inspired me to, within the last, like, I don't know, when did I start it? Right around Thanksgiving. I actually started watching the Batman animated series. It's on HBO Max. And yeah. Chema, it's pretty good. Like, oh yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty fucking good. I never watched it before. Um, the animation is really, you know, for, for its time, early nineties to the, through the mid nineties, uh, the animation's pretty solid, very mm-hmm. much in keeping with that Batman aesthetic they set in the eighties and nineties. Um, yep. they have, they even actually used the, the Danny Elfman scores, like the opening music. Um, yep. it's, it's, so it's great. It's not too juvenile and, you know, but still accessible to younger, to a younger audience. Like no one gets killed. Batman's not fucking, you know, it's, it's not the Ben Affleck Batman killing people. <laughs> right. Um, you know, it's, it's the Batman that we kind of grew up with. Um, the, you know, the biggest thing that's happening, he's fighting criminals who are like after jewels and money mm-hmm. and, you know, like it's, it's pretty, it's pretty more, it's a little bit more simple. Um, you know, yeah. the world isn't at stake and man, there is some fucking great voice talent in every single episode. Um, mm-hmm. You know, besides like the obvious ones, like Mark Hamill uh, being the Joker, um, and, and Adrian Barbeau as um, um, oh god damn it, as Catwoman. Like, there's some obvious ones, but like, you know, Kevin Conroy as Batman is fantastic. Um, mm-hmm. In fact, he's like the first. He was the first one to do Batman and Bruce Wayne as two different voices. Um, no one asked him to. He just decided to because he thought that would make sense. And I, you know, apparently, if you ask a lot of people, like, who's the best Batman? Kevin Conroy's the best Batman, if you ask a lot of people. Um, right. But, I mean, it's good. Like, it's it's really, really great to, like, go through and, and you know, sort of pick up this little, like, as, as we said before, like, I'm very, I'm very kind of judgmental about animation, but, like, this is hitting a good spot. Like, it's, it's not too, it's not too young for me. It's not trying mm-hmm. to do too much. It's not trying to be too violent or anything. It just hits a nice spot, and it's been a good watch, especially when I work. It's been a good watch. 22 minutes an episode. I can just burn through a bunch of them at a time. I've really fucking enjoyed it. And yeah. sort of to get deeper into... To get deeper into Mavs, this is kind of... This, I think, is a good entry point for you into what electronic music is now. Like, mm-hmm. throw Skrillex out the door. That was like seven, eight years ago. Don't worry right. about it. Um, the album... The Heart of Batman album itself is a good starting point. But I would also recommend I would recommend that album first, and then I would recommend you jump to um, an album. You have to listen to it. Either you got to buy it or you got to listen to it on on um, Makeup and Vanity Sets website. Okay. It's called uh, Zital Systems System One Horror, and I think it was released a few years ago. Let me double check on this real quick. Um, let's see. I can't remember exactly when it, it might actually have been released this past year. Um, but regardless, um, yeah, I think it was released as Pat. No, 2017. I was looking at the wrong thing. Um, came out in 2017 and, uh, Mavs released a song every day in October, October 1st through October 31st for this album that was based on or paying either based on or paying homage to a classic horror movie. Oh, wow. That's fucking awesome. Really good album. Zytel, Z-E-I-T-E-L? Z-Y-T-E-L Systems. Okay, awesome. I'm writing that down. I'm gonna. I've already put the the Batman album on my Spotify list. I'm gonna make a note of this because I am extremely interested in this right now. Yeah, this is this is sort of the this is sort of like I don't want to say it's like the dominant electronic music, but this is like sort of what has been bubbling up to the surface uh, in pop music the last okay. like, couple of years is like this kind of music, like the um, like I mentioned it before, but like um, 
the weekend's most recent full album is loaded with like synth wave lines just like in the background of everyone's every one of his songs it's there okay so it's like this kind of music is sort of bubbling up to the surface right now very nice because i was wondering exactly how long the whole skrillex thing was gonna last and it didn't last long trust me i mean he's still around doing music and it's totally fine like actually some of it's actually pretty good it's usually Mm -hmm. i like his i like his collaborations better than anything that he does individually but yeah it's not nearly it's not 2014 13 anymore Okay, gotcha. Because, like, a lot of the electronic stuff I listen to is through this guy, Ben Aldis, on the Peloton um, the Peloton videos. Like, mm-hmm. So any electronic stuff I have comes from him, and a lot of it's, like, housey instrumental type stuff yeah. that you would expect to be out of workout Peloton yep. video. You know, wait for the drop, the drop happens, you know, you kick your resistance up kind of stuff. Yeah, I got totally. Yeah. So this is actually, I'm very excited. I'm no joke going to listen to this tonight. I, I would, it's really good um, on, on Heart of Batman when you get into it the the song titled uh, the, the song titled the dark knight that's a fucking banger nice very nice is there um there's not singing i'm assuming it'll be all sampling any type of like words or spoken oh, there's no words samples at all. okay okay this, this, this okay. guy does like he's actually done other smaller films film scores and stuff this guy just makes music like it's, okay I, I mean unless i haven't you know take that back there is there's one album of his i want to say it's like brigador that has like sampled lyrics and stuff, but there's, okay. It's not like a band. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. So sometimes like, um, and I'm actually a fan of this is like people will sample like a movie line or something and kind of incorporate it into a song and stuff like that. And, um, like I, am appreciative of all forms of electronic music, but like whether or not there is words in it is like how I kind of gauge what kind of electronic music it is. I gotcha. There's, there's a band called gunship. That's okay. definitely a band. Like, I mean, they're electronic. Mm-hmm. They're a synthwave band. That is, yeah. it might as well for them be like 1986. Um, okay. But like, they're a band. Like, make no doubt about it. Like, there's a lead singer. Um, there's, they play instruments. But like, they're definitely heavily electronic. Um, and they're, they are capturing like that, that late 70s into the 80s, uh, re- you know, synthwave sound. Uh, I guess they're like retro wave is what they call themselves. They actually, they actually have John Carpenter on one of their songs. No shit. Um, no shit. I can't. What? Oh gosh, I'll, I'll look it up. But it's. I'll look it up and I'll send it to you. But it's it's John Carpenter is you know he produces the song and he's actually, he's actually like the opening lines in the song. Oh, that's really cool. That's really fucking cool. Yeah. All right. That's all I got there. Um, any any anything else for the old is new again? Uh, the only thing, if you're gonna go, I don't know if you've heard it yet, but speaking in the whole MF Doom thing. King Ghidorah, it's this album persona thing that he did. Like, um, it's like it's supposed to be like a Godzilla themed album with a bunch of different mm-hmm. rappers. That was another one. All this kind of MF Doom, Scarface, Starface stuff I got into this year. So that was my other solid gotcha. recommendation for you. I'll, I'll get I'll get on that for sure. Like I, I mean, you know, we're not getting any new MF Doom stuff ever again. <laughs> right. So, um, right. you know, might as well go back and listen to all the stuff that he that he or you know the more recent stuff he's done. Yeah, this song's called Tech Noir, the John Carpenter song. Tech Noir, thank you. Yep. Yeah. Very uh, yeah, I'm all about the I'm gonna listen to both of these later on tonight. You got that right. There you go. <laughs> all right. Let's move into our last segment segment. Just the other stuff from twenty twenty one. Uh just a little hodgepodge of some things here. Uh so Chema, uh, a cool fact you learned this year. <laughs> okay. Jess and I went up to Sonoma, California, like in wine country and stuff. And we, I learned this awesome fact about how this um, winery called the Westwood Winery makes wine, okay? They um, 
but it's crazy. So like they know a guy who's got these really expensive cows. Okay. That's like one of the highest possible quality cow you could buy. Right. These cows are given beer. They're like basically how, how Wagyu beef cows are treated, you know, like beer, really good food, all that stuff. Yeah. This winery buys not only these, this cow's fertilizer, but they also buy horns that grow off the top of the cows. Mm-hmm. And what they do is they take the fertilizer and they pack it into the horns. And then they plant the horns in the field that is next to the field where they grow wine. And it's supposedly like one of the like newest trends as far as like wine farming goes to do this stuff. And I was incredibly intrigued by it, dude. This guy that we had this little wine tasting with went on for 20 minutes about horn shit wine. And I was captivated by this. I thought that this was so goddamn genius. And like, I mean, he was telling me about how they, you know, like the difference in this fertilizer between all the other fertilizers. So everybody out there, um, there's this cow with horns. And when it does go to the bathroom, the soil is very, this fertilizer is very, very, very fertile. So, um, the Westwood Winery has got some really interesting ways that they do agriculture. I was captivated by this. Interesting. <laughs> that is very interesting, dude. That's that's the sort of stuff like like I don't particularly like. I don't really like wine that much at all. Um, I don't think I'll ever get into it. But if I ever did go to a winery, well, I've been to I've been to it before. Like the next time that I go to a winery, I like I. That's the kind of stuff I want to go there for. Like, yeah. Tell me about this. Yeah, I wanted to hear all about the – I don't care about like, – like I can't remember what's supposed to have a more body and all this other stuff. But like I loved the agricultural element of it. And we went to like a couple different places. Some of these wineries had breweries in it and like just like the, the, the type of farming that they do and like what they do to like basically get the most out of their grapes and stuff – is just so goddamn interesting. Like I, I'm not, I'm not, I don't like all kinds of wine. Like I'm kind of like getting my selection and my favorites are becoming more and more narrow as time goes on. But when you listen to some of these people talk about this, that they talk about it with such passion. Like I could listen to this guy talk about wine fertilizing for hours. I I listened to it for an hour. I could have got two more out of this. No problem. (laughs) Very nice. Yeah, no, that's, I'm a nerd like that too. Like, like, I would love to go to, um, you know, like, go to, like, the Guinness, the like, the OG Guinness distillery and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a brewery distillery or whatever they call it. And, like, just, like, please tell me about beer making 250 years ago. I'll listen. Yeah. It, oh, exactly, dude. Like, all that kind of stuff I thought was so interesting, man. And the, everybody up there, they all do something different, which is really – there's hundreds of wineries. And they all have a different mm-hmm. take on, like, how to get the most out of the product and – how to do the like the best things possible with the land. I mean, it is just that's the kind of stuff I was blown away by, dude. Like I never thought in my entire life that I would get as much conversation out of horn shit wine as I possibly have. I, I talk about this all the time. I talked about it three different times when I was back in Ohio. It's, it's just so interesting to me. <laughs> I please tell me that they that they make a wine that they just call horn shit wine. Because I, I would actually buy so. that. Dude, I fucking hope so. Like, after finding out Maynard has got the Merkin Winery, I guarantee you they have a special run called the Hornshit Wine somewhere in a cellar. <laughs> That'd be great. Love it. Oh, yeah. Love it. All right. This is actually something I learned recently that I, I always, like, oddly enough, I've always kind of wondered about. Um, according to astronauts, space has a strong scent. Like, Interesting. An unmistakable scent. Um, 
astronauts have likened it to there's kind of a common there's a commonality here but astronauts have likened it to steak cooked on a dirty metal skillet <laughs> welding fumes walnuts and brake fluid gunpowder and ozone so wow there's <laughs> I don't know what I don't no idea what ozone smells like. It's O three, but I have, I have no idea what that possibly could smell like. But like, there's definitely some kind of strong sort of sort of metallic to chemically composition that is making space smell. But like, it's it's not like it's not like they're mistaking it for like the interior of of you know of like the spacecraft or ships or whatever. It's mm-hmm. like it's literally it it coats whatever it is. The, the atoms and particles that are out in space are coating their uniform, or coating you know, their suits, the space suit, and then when they get back into the ship, obviously you couldn't smell it out there anyway, even if you know, you're know you cut off from the scent. And even if you weren't cut off from the scent, it's a vacuum, you probably couldn't smell it anyway. Um, once they get back into the ship, the astronauts that have been wear- that were out doing spacewalks or whatever have an unmistakable smell that they just that's all over them. You know something? That is one of those things that's like... I never really knew I needed to know that until somebody told me because it's just like, that is something like I've kind of wondered about, but I need somebody else to bring that question into the forefront. And that is insanely interesting to me. I would figure it would have to smell like everything has to smell. You know what I'm saying? Like there's gotta be something that that smells like. And now that I am, this door has been opened. I don't know how much sleep I'm going to get tonight. <laughs> like I could lose I always, a lot of time. To yeah. This. <laughs> I, I always assumed that like the ISS had like a scent or even a, you know, any ship that's up there has a mm-hmm. scent simply because like, you're just in close quarters with people that like, you know, the, you're, you have to use, even though it gets purified and scrubbed and everything else, it's still the same right. air and you're not, you're in a very enclosed space with several other people that it would just begin to smell like them. But this is apparently, this is what whatever is out in space they bring in and it smells. That is incredibly interesting to me. <laughs> like that is so goddamn interesting. And like, it makes me wonder like, okay, so let's just say for example, like somebody comes in from a spacewalk. Are you smelling this five feet across the room? Do you have to bury your nose in the suit to get it? And how does like, what is the difference when the whole snake smell to break fluid and walnuts, you know, like where, like, where does that, how do we go that's probably that spectrum, you know? probably like a lot of like and, and like any kind of like sensation that we have it probably just depends on the person like true things yeah. just taste different you know what i mean things taste different colors look different to all of us right. whatever that's probably what that is but like it's very clear that there's some kind of something something out there probably smells metallic is like seems to be the underlying yeah. um commonality here oh that's very interesting oh my god that is so interesting like there's just like there's just a lot to unfold there man and like it makes me wonder like you know like how like it makes me wonder if we're ever able to you know i could see this being in a gift shop okay like here's what space smells like and you get like a, a little jar that's supposed to smell like space and i i don't know there's just my mind is going so much off of this like it, there's just so much to unpack here yeah i mean what is what does venus smell like Probably smells like sulfur. I mean, there's a bunch of like, yeah. like probably smells like sulfur. But like, what does Mars smell like? What is? I don't know. Like, what, like I, I am right. like sort of in that sort of pet. Like, what do these things smell like? I guess for that matter, what does quote unquote Earth smell like? Yeah, that is very very true. Like, do we as an Earth have a, does it have a identifiable smell and compared to the other planets? Like, I don't know. Does the probably. moon does the moon smell better than us? <laughs> like, I mean, I can't have a smell worse than the moon. 
I, this, this, these are the questions we need to ask astronauts from now on. But yeah, no, I just yeah. thought that was that was one of those things. You're right. It wasn't something that I was like, boy, I've always I've always wondered this very particular thing. But like now that like I kind of think about it, I'm like, yeah, that's that is really fucking fascinating. The first astronaut had to be like, what the, like what the fuck is this? Like did I? Yeah. I, I I'm willing to bet they probably like the first astronauts to do spacewalks and stuff probably didn't even know that that's necessarily what they were smelling. That, that could be too. Yeah, you know what definitely. I mean. Like it was, they just thought right. it was something inside the ship. They're like, oh god, Neil must have been eating dairy again. Like, <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> My god, that is so interesting. All right, I'm how about lose, um, I, I will oh. lose time to that tonight. I'm going to lose time <laughs> to that. <laughs> how about uh, your best social media find? Okay, so I um, I've been through Instagram. I found this thing called screenwriting in LA, which is this cool like just kind of weekly gives you some exercise and you kind of connect with other writers via this like forum and stuff, you know, you kind of sign up for it and everything. It has been a major help as far as getting some of my, like, you know, just kind of inspiration for writing and stuff, you know, maybe one thing I write turns into something else or, or whatever. I will say that I am leaning on making this a mini so topic because there's definitely something that's going on here and I don't quite know what it is. I, I've stumbled into something that I think there's some below the surface kind of stuff going on here. I just haven't quite been able to figure out what it is. And like, while it's great that, you know, we get these weekly prompts and all this stuff, but I don't quite understand the motivation of the guy who's behind it. And um, like, if he's just trying to make money, whatever it is, but I know that this guy writes as well. So I'm, kind of like in the, in this like diet investigatory mode, you know, or investigative mode, trying to get to the bottom of what's actually going on here. Because, um, I was made aware recently of this through Twitter kind of pitch competition that this one website had. And this website was met with a lot of praise from one section of the screenwriting community that's on Twitter and it was met with a complete, like, utter and sheer hatred from the other sect of the screenwriting Twitter that I'm aware of. And um, this, the side that is really mad, the, the side that hates it, views this as a major intellectual property kind of issue that people have yet, that we haven't quite seen, like, how bad this could become. And I just... I'm very intrigued by some of these different perspectives. So like for, for me, I'm, you know, kind of going into this a little bit more. I'm, I don't do stuff like for the site that I feel could be converted into a feature. It's more just like write a story within these limitations, but um, there's something next level going on here. And I'm going to try to get to the bottom of it. And hopefully I'll have more information by the time we do our mini. So, because there's a, there are questions that I could ask you about this and some kind of things that I was thinking about, but I'm trying to, hold off on this for maybe a, a much later and a little bit better of a discussion. I gotcha. I gotcha. Um, yeah. All right. Interesting. What, what's it called again? It's called screenwriting in LA. Like in, in, in general, it looks very, very innocent, but like, I'll tell you what I think is going on here. I think that this is an idea factory for people that, um, are there's somebody behind the scenes that are just reading short scripts over and over again and taking ideas and expanding gotcha. upon them. I th that's what I think is going on here. I don't know if that's for sure, but I tried to test the limits a little bit and I wrote a script about how there was a website and people were stealing ideas from it. 
And um, the guy who is the, the, the head of screenwriting LA, I kind of message him. We talk every now and then got really pissed off at me for writing about that. So like now that I know something's going on here, I need to look into this farther. Yeah. Yeah. When the canary in the coal mine dies, um, it's, it's probably filling with gas. It's probably time to get out of there. Um, yeah. That's yeah. That, that, that seems, that seems like the most likely thing. And it, I don't know, like, I mean, I guess what, it, you know, it's not doing anything illegal, but like, man, like that just sounds very, what's, what's the yeah. word? Unethical? It's very unethical. Uh, yeah. It, like, it sounds like not like things that good people don't do, you yeah. know? And like, I'm, I'm aware of like the idea of like everybody stealing and stuff. Like I get that. But I will tell you, dude, I try to do my best not to do that kind of stuff. And if there is something I'm stealing, it's more or less like how I present a certain idea and stuff like, oh, like this guy had a really cool creative way of maybe doing a montage or this guy had a really cool creative way of taking people around the room. So we meet people and we know who to do like that's mm -hmm. like what I like look into for influence. But like. I'm not going around like if you were to tell me a story, I'm not going to then go turn around and be like, OK, I'm going to write this and it's going to be my, you know, I'm not doing yeah. that kind of shit. Yeah. So I feel that when this industry where like ideas are as good as gold, somebody's doing something wrong here. And I think that like what's going on is that there we haven't quite seen it because I know that this is rather new. It's only been around for about a, two years, maybe at the most. But like at some point in time we are going to see like an idea that was started off on this website and um, somebody stole it and it's going to become a thing. You're probably right. Um, even if it's, even if it's not like a, a you know, something big, um, right. The, just the, the proliferation of like short films and stuff that pop up on yeah. social media, 100%, one of those concepts going to show up there. Yeah. And there, dude, there's, there's been some stuff on here that I've read that uh, there's a couple people that, are ideas machines like there are people out there that like a couple people on this that I regularly kind of interact with that these are ideas people you know what I'm saying like they may not be able to write dialogue but they got ideas yeah and I'm just like why are you doing like why would you post this to this site like this is a really good fucking idea you know what I'm saying like this is not just like hey write a conversation between two people like you have a seriously good idea going on here why are you making this accessible to the public like this right 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 Chama, you got to show them the way, man. You got to show them the yeah. way. Yeah, yeah, you bet, dude. So we might be revisiting this in the future. I'm trying to go into the heart of the beast a little bit on this myself before I turn it into something where I could ask you the questions that I want to ask. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, speaking of going into the heart of the beast, mine, mine is actually. <laughs> I'm gonna put it at the very top here that this is like a legitimate. I actually don't even follow this guy, but it, this is like a a hate watch that I occasionally check in on. Um, are you familiar with a man who calls himself the liver King? No, I've never heard of him. So liver King is real name, Brian Johnson. Um, <laughs> not, not the, not the ACDC guitarist, um, Brian Johnson, but uh, just some other guy named Brian Johnson. He is mm -hmm. the height of ridiculous fitness influencers. I, I, okay. I mean, he is all, all the, all of the terrible things that I see with fitness influencers on social media, he embodies um, mm -hmm. from, the, from the top. He lies to your face every single day about what he puts into his body. Um, yeah. He he's called the liver King because he claims to only eat like basically like, um, like someone, someone who is existing, you know, 
hundreds if not thousands of years ago would eat an animal head to tail, right? Like you don't mm -hmm. waste any part of the animal. So he claims to eat, you know, if, if he like kills a deer, eats, you know, eats the deer meat, eats the heart, liver, lungs, eats everything, testicles, everything. Um, yeah. he, he'll present to you like a meal that he eats and the amount of calories and fat that he's intaking. And this guy is shredded, shredded beyond belief. Like has like his abs look like they're fucking fake. They're so, they stand out so much. <laughs> the, the thing that like, I guess a lot of people, this is the reason why he's getting away with this, at least the lying part. Um, a lot of people don't realize like, if you want to look that shredded, you can't eat a lot. Right. You, you can't intake a lot of calories unless he is literally putting in the work of an Olympic athlete working out eight hours a day, which he's not. Like, he mm -hmm. has a family and a business. Like, he can't do it. Um, right. You can achieve that sort of physique when you're fucking jacking Trembolone, D-Ball, DECA, Test into your body. Like, mm -hmm. you can do it then. And judging by the fucking amount that he sweats while just standing in place, um, the color of his fucking skin... And the tightness of his skin, um, it, it, this guy's on all kinds of shit. But he claims it's just eating, just comes from working out hard and eating eating liver. And this is where the next thing comes in. Um, uh, he culturally, he's now culturally appropriated other cultures, spiritual and religious beliefs, and make that into a lifestyle workout program. Um, the, the ancestral, the nine ancestral tenets of our ancestors. And they're vaguely Native American, they're vaguely... Um, you know, they're vaguely, uh, Northern European, they're vaguely, um, South American. Um, basically he's just, it's just this like mumbo jumbo of stuff that you would see like in pop culture, like you would represent the, you know, the native American, like as this some like spirit culture and mm -hmm. like that doesn't really get into like what actual native American culture is. Um, right. and not only that, I'm pretty sure they'd be pretty, pretty pissed off if he began using, um, symbols of theirs for like to to pass out in a pamphlet about working out, um, but he does do that, so yeah. he he covers that. He also promotes and sort of like with the ancestral tenants, he also claims to have like very deep knowledge about what the ancestors his quote unquote the ancestors. I don't know who's, but the ancestors. He seems to have very good knowledge about what the ancestors were eating, sleeping, and their physical fitness habits. Well, here's the thing: what ancestors? Because the ancestors, he's a big, he's a little white guy, dude. He's five foot six, two hundred pounds. Um, he little little fucking munchkin boy. Um, his little white guy. So his ancestors, wherever they're from in Europe, were probably eating and sleeping and doing different physical things than people's ancestors in Africa, than right. people's ancestors in Asia, than people people's ancestors in the Americas. Saying that your ancestors did this, it, it's nonsensical because even your ancestors in the Mediterranean ate and did things differently, hunted, did things differently than your ancestors in, like, up in Scandinavia. Things mm -hmm. were different. So right. then he tells you that the only thing you need to, again, like, head-to-tail eating, um, you know, eat the organs, particularly the liver, because he's the liver king. Um, but if you want, you can buy very expensive supplements from him. Oh, yeah, of course. Um, it's it's a legitimate hate watch, dude. This guy's fucking disgusting. He, he had this one video about, like, our ancestors weren't concerned about cholesterol. I'm like... Well, they also died when they were 40. So right. they didn't really have to worry about <laughs> cholesterol because they weren't going to live long enough for it to become a problem. So, right. like, this dude, in one video, he fucking eats, like, 50 raw eggs. Um, and I'm just like, 
you know, the redness is probably in part from, from tests and steroids and D-ball, but also, like, I'm sure this man has hypertension. Like, I'm positive that his heart is working overtime to support this bizarre physique that he's carved out for himself. It's, it, it, Chema, this is a hate watch. I recommend you go yeah. look him up. He's disgusting. Oh, I just, I'm just to get an idea of what you're talking about, I went to his Instagram page. His summary is fucking disgusting. He's the CEO of the Ancestral Lifestyle, Nine Tenets, One Mission, to put back into the modern world what we left out. Uh, tribe, hashtag Ancestral Living, and then a YouTube link. And then this is the thing that I think bugs me the most is that there are these circles. There's seven like little circles with different designs in them that look to be like, you know, hieroglyphic y cave yeah. painting style writings and stuff that are primals, eat, recipes, bond, shield, move, and sun. And those like, those are this, the those are part of the tenants. Those are the tenants. Okay, okay, because this like it just looks really like I get I get somebody being in shape, but I don't like all the extra crap that comes along with it. You know, like I don't like this whole this whole ancestral focused kind of thing because it just doesn't look right to me. Like this looks like a um, this looks like every other white dude who decides to start posting motivational quotes on Instagram yeah. and stuff. Like this, it looks completely off brand, even for this guy. And I don't even know anything about him. But like this, this, it, it, I don't know. To me, like white people saying the phrase and like believe i say the phrase ancestry often because I, I don't really know how to describe describe it but i would not say the phrase ancestral as far as like a brand goes it's just a, i don't think i just the, i don't hear the phrase ancestral and see white people as well i mean like it's not like he's it's not like he's saying that like my again brian johnson so let's just i'll just like say he's you know english or irish it's not right. like he's saying these are the Irish, these ancestral Irish tenants from this part of Ireland where my family's from. There's a very obvious, but not directly stated, especially when you look at like the symbols and stuff, there's a very obvious sort of, um, there's a very obvious sort of attempt to appropriate Native American culture into this. Yeah. Because we're in America, and that's kind of what people think about like when they think about like ancient the American ancestors, right? Like that's mm -hmm. the, the, that's the stuff that he's kind of touching on to or trying to, but right. like, it's not like it's specific to his, his family or lifestyle or whatever. It's just sort of, again, he's just appropriating someone else's culture to sort of to sell fucking fitness supplements. Yeah. It looks like this guy scrolled through a million social media influencers and picked the one route that no one else was going. And it's like, I'm going to be ancestry guy. Come to me for knowledge about and your ancestors. I'm going to be disgusting guy. Like he's dude, it's gross. Like watch some of his videos. It's, I get fucking sick watching him eat it. Like it's disgusting. It looks like he's holding up a giant liver in his yep. profile photo, yep. which looks disgusting enough as it is. Like, like again, you can like, I, here's here's where here's two things that he gets right one the dude works out hard as fuck like you you still don't you can put whatever you want into your body you have to like output you know mm -hmm. work to look like that um, right so he does that and two yeah we should all try to eat less processed foods but there is nothing sustainable for your health about eating about eating fucking organs all the time and only organs like there's nothing yeah. sustainable about that it sounds fucking disgusting too. <laughs> like it seriously does. Yeah. Like it just of that big a fucking liver. Oh, it's it's just gross, dude. And like it just once again, it's just like some guy who's 
like this was like the shtick he landed on. You know, like what am I going to do that no one else is doing? Let me tell you about eating livers. Yep, exactly, exactly. Um, Yeah, so don't follow him. But (laughs) if you're curious about like some of the ridiculousness, it's he's he's all he is all ridiculous basically. Um, Oh man, how about how about a podcast we should try out? Oh, dude, I just got into the It's Always the Always Sunny podcast. Fucking love it. Just listening to those guys shoot the shit about the golden days and stuff. Like it's it's been a cool little kind of thing for me. I love it. Yeah, I need I need I need to jump on that bandwagon too. Um, but I think you, Chema, this is a direct recommendation for you, but certainly for everyone else listening. Um, Blank Check uh, with Griffin and David, uh, with Griffin Newman, and da- Griffin Newman and David Sims. Um, they just wrapped up the entire filmography of John Carpenter. And this is one of the, this is one of my favorite, like, um, this is one of my favorite filmographies they've done. Obviously I'm a John Carpenter fan, but like the episodes themselves were outstanding. Um, nice. Chema in particular, the Halloween episode is incredible. Um, awesome. They, they have on a director I'm not familiar with. I don't know if you are Alex Ross Perry. Does that name ring a bell? Heard it. Can't think of anything he's done. Um, they, they had him on and it's like, I mean, it's like a three hour and 10 minute episode. Uh, about Halloween, and Alex Ross Perry gives this really great um, sort of history lesson about like movies and pop culture in the 60s and 70s, and why Halloween sort of wasn't. It was a phenomenon, obviously, but like we've been conditioned for about like the previous 10 years to be prepared for something like Halloween culturally, and it's fascinating. Like it's a really fascinating trip back to that time period. Um, they agree with us. They agree with us wholeheartedly. In the Mouth of Madness slaps. They both had it like in their top three all-time Carpenter movies. And I think nice. I think for me it's outside the top three, but it's top five for sure. Yeah. Um, I, fu- I yeah. fucking loved it. <laughs> it was so good. <laughs> but like, the Mouth of Madness episode is fantastic. And the last episode they did, they covered The Ward. Um, they cover it with this. He's a film critic and he, and he writes. He's written some um, movies and TV shows and stuff. Um, Drew McWeeney. I'm not sure if you're familiar with him. but I am not. Um Drew McWeeney has known John Carpenter since he was 13. Um, he was an extra on a movie, and Carpenter basically, you know, I forgot exactly how he got this, like, extra part, but basically was introduced to Carpenter, and Carpenter just, like, when he wasn't film, you know, he's only in, like, two scenes. And when he wasn't filming, he just, Carpenter invited Drew McWeeney back to the set just to hang out and talk movies and, like, show him how he's, like, doing all this stuff. And once, you know, when Drew McWeeney, like, went off to, went off to college became you know became a, a critic a, you know became a critic after that he got to interview him like years later and john was immediately like oh you're the boy from that movie i was filming in new york and so like you know they've kind of remained friends and then like years after that um drew McWeeny collaborated on john carpenter's tv stuff with cigarette burns and body and cigarette burns and body bags um so like this guy's known carpenter basically like his whole life and it was really interesting to hear him talk about how he personally knows john carpenter versus like what the world sees with John Carpenter like this kind of gruff guy who's like pissed off all the time especially at like Hollywood types Drew McWeeney's mm-hmm. like no this dude's really nice <laughs> like he's one of the nicest people I ever met and like he loves when you when you find something that he's interested in he'll chop it up with you like your old buddies like he just doesn't care he's like he's like a regular guy that is pissed off at certain people but like once you get past the wall he's like one of the nicest people you've ever met that's awesome. I, I wrote this down. I'm going to check this out for sure. And um, I know why I know Alex Ross Perry. He did this movie called Joshy with Thomas Middletich. It's just a little 
kind of comedy. There's some other people, and I think Nick Kroll is in it. Allison okay. Brie is in it and stuff. Um, it's it's a good it's a it's it's a good little movie. Gotcha. Nothing special, but it's just it's a good entertaining hour and a half. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, it seems like he's one of those directors. Um, you know, smaller stuff director, I guess I'd call him. Not bad, yeah, just like, small stuff. Yeah, a lot of the stuff on here I have not heard of. This this would be like, I mean, he's got, John Hamm was in one of his movies called Nostalgia, but it's just like, it's all stuff that this maybe just flew under my radar. Right, right, right. Um, yeah, so there you go. Uh, blank check. Love it. Um, weirdest dream you had this year. We'll, we'll wrap up with this. Wrap up with this. <laughs> okay, so like, this is very interesting. So anytime I'm getting ready to travel to get on a plane, particularly to Ohio, I start to have these reoccurring, it's basically a reoccurring dream. The, the premise is the same, but the situation is different. And it always centers around me about to be late for the airport. And now I have no movies downloaded on my phone. And like, I am in an abundance of different situations that are all in the Northeast Ohio area, but they all have this theme of me having to go to the airport and I don't have any movies on my phone and I'm barely making it to the airport each time. So like any time that I'm getting, and this has been now two, about two to three years of, of this pattern. It happens about six weeks to two months every time before I'm getting ready to go someplace. And it happens a couple of different times a week. And I'm telling you, man, some of these places that I go like are like Nordonia high school and stuff. Like we're all in high school. It is basically like being in high school, but I have to go to the airport and I have no movies on my phone every single time. And it is pretty fucking weird. (laughs) I love I love that this is like something that is continuous because it's like it, it's it, I, I don't want to call it a fear, but it's definitely something that like causes you anxiety not having movies on your phone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause it's just sitting in this boring ass fucking plane, dude. Like I, I tried to watch the matrix on the plane, but I couldn't get HBO max to work. And like, I I'm sitting there for two hours, just sitting there on a plane. Like go to bed, fall asleep. Awful. I fall asleep all the time. I don't think I've ever been like fully awake for a flight. I can't sleep on him, dude. Like I just, the seat is just so uncomfortable and stuff. And like, whenever I try to lean up against the window, like I just keep falling off. Like I such difficulty sleeping on planes so that that's probably where this whole thing comes from. But it is just like, it is entertaining to me how like I will, there was this one dream that I had this whole thing where like, I'm, I'm at work in a building in Cleveland and a fucking asteroid slams into the lake. And I'm looking at a detailed thing of like a tidal wave coming at my building and I still have to go to the airport. Because, well, I can't go to the airport, but I, that's why I'm in the building. I have to go to the airport because I'm in this building trying to download movies. It's <laughs> fucking, it is so interesting, dude. And like, I, I said this before when we talk about dreams, but like the level of detail in which that I dream is just like astounding. Like there is no, oh, yeah. like we're talking like actual, like, I mean, like watching an asteroid fall into Lake Erie, you know, we're talking like the fire behind the tail other like you know it's not just one block it's like you know several little things just all kind of falling into the lake and to actually like see the detail of the water and everything it is just it's incredible sometimes like i'm just like sometimes it's the best thing i watch like in the course of the week it's it's nuts yeah i'm i'm the same way i have i have very detailed dreams to the point where like um to the point where like i I remember like reading things in them Mm-hmm. Like yeah. science and stuff had like had like I, I mean clearly I could read them, which apparently is I don't, I don't know I, I've heard people say it's not very common, but like I can yeah. clearly read things in my dreams sometimes, which is yeah. strange. Yeah. 
there's that Batman animated series episode that tells you you're not supposed to be able to read in your dreams because it comes from the left side of the brain or whatever. Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> I, I love it. By the way, I love that people still like think of themselves as like, well, I'm real left brain. I'm like, well, that's a terrible thing because like you have a whole other half of your brain you could be using. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty true. <laughs> that's very fucking true. Um, yeah. Anyway. So. Yeah, I just like I got to tell you, this, the detail of some of these are just it's just, it's incredible, man. And like what I think is even more interesting is like how the what you see in your dream and where you're supposed to be, how it is. Some of the details are 100 percent accurate to what they are. But then there are things that are just like not accurate entirely. Like when I talk about like us going into high school and stuff like the layout of the high school is the exact same way, like walking around it, the perimeter, the hallways all connecting the cafeteria to me looks the exact same way that it did. But it's just different. Like we don't have in my dreams, there's no trophy case on the side of the wall. You know what I'm saying? Like there'll be um, maybe like the tables are arranged the same way, but the desks are the the chairs are different or something. So it's it's very intriguing to me, like to notice like what is so different about the real image. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I gotcha. That's interesting. Um, That's the thing. I don't like that's that's a weird thing that where I lack. Like a dream of mine will take place, and for whatever reason, even if I don't recognize it, I know that this is some place that I've been before. If that makes sense, I gotcha. No, so I get, like I, I totally that's where understand. I lack detail. Like, I like I've I've had I've had the in high school dream or mm-hmm. being at the high school dream, and it's very visually not the high school, but it's Nordonia. Like not not yeah. just a high school. I know in my dream that this is Nordonia. Right. Oh, yeah, dude. Yeah. Like, have you ever had like these? Um, have you ever had these places in your dreams that you swear are real? <laughs> like, there have been a couple times where I'm just like, how is this not a real place? Like, I, I swear I've been here before, but like, I just can't put my mind like it, it's almost like the, the setting is so realistic that you're like, I had to have been here one time. I just can't remember when. Well, could be could also just be something you're remembering from a movie TV show, something you've seen in a magazine. Um it could also just be an amalgamation of places you've been. And that's yeah. why you can't put your finger on it. Cause it's like, it looks like four different places. Yeah. There are places to me, like take where Astrohurst golf courses. Like when you go into that area of the Metro parks and they have the river and stuff there, there are definitely like, there's this place in one of my dreams that borrows a lot of that imagery. And I'm just like, this has to exist. Like, I swear to God, like I've been to this particular part, but like in all reality, it's only maybe the image of the river that I've been to, not the field behind it. Right. And also, also keep in mind that like a lot of your dreams, a lot of what you remember from your dreams, you construct later. So you might be later be going, Oh, this looks like that. So it had to be this place. Or, I gotcha. I gotcha. This place. It's, it, yeah. it's one of those things you don't, it's hard. Like you, you don't remember dreams as they're happening. You remember them after the fact. Yes, I got you. Like, because you're, you. you're not conscious to experience them. Right. I understand what you're saying. Definitely. If that makes I, I don't know. Anyway. All right. Chema, I'm going to get into one. <laughs> um, it, so I, I was, for whatever reason, I was, I was, someone called me um, just out of the blue and was like, hey, we need you to be the, the director of photography and cinematography for this indie film we're doing. And, like, it just came from an, uns- like, phone rang, and I'm like, oh, okay. And then, like, you know, someone <laughs> sent me, like, an itinerary, tickets, whatever, and then, boom, I'm, I'm you know, somewhere in California. 
um, at like this house out in, you know, out in the, not like out in the boonies, but it was definitely like inland farther, um, a little bit off the, slightly off the beaten path, let's say. Yeah. And we're shooting at this house and it's like a, almost like a classic sitcom setup. Oops. We double booked the house and mm-hmm. which not sure how that would even happen, but, uh, with this kind of stuff, but the, the house. So like we had to shoot, uh, at certain times and we had to share the shoot with a porn set and, okay. We're we're sharing it with this porn set. There's like I, I don't remember there this I don't remember there being any sex or anything, which actually makes this even weirder. Um, but like I'm in like a man made pond that we had drained, mm-hmm. and I'm painting it black, um, huh. painting the bottom of it black because and like there's a couple of the porn stars are there watch or not it wasn't the porn stars it was like the the production people for the porn. Um, yeah, where they're kind of watching like what are you doing? I'm like well I got to paint it black. Because I have to make this pool look like it's much deeper than it actually is. Which, mm-hmm. I think that kind of makes sense. I don't know. It does. It, um, does. <laughs> it probably actually doesn't. It probably makes it easier to see in. But anyway. Um, so so then I tell them, as like we're refilling it, after I repainted it, after I painted it, we refilled it. And then I got into this conversation. And then an actual porn star, some guy came out and was just talking to me. He's just like... He's like, he saw me like I was adding chemicals to the water and like really carefully. And he's like, what are you doing? I'm like, well, it's really important to get the pH balance correct because <laughs> it's like, I'm like, hey, man, this is something you want to listen to because bad pH balance in the water can give you a skin rash. And he's and he was just like, holy shit, dude. I'm like, right. I'm like, you're naked all the time. You probably want good skin. So you got to watch the pH balance in your fucking water. Um, <laughs> so there was that. And then and then like I remember we're back inside the house and um, one of the um, one of the editors or I don't know, this is one of the, uh, an editor, like they actually have like a, some fucking full-fledged studio doing this. Just someone chopping everything together was giving me like an advanced look at what they were filming and it opened up with like the opening credits of the, of the movie. So I got to see <laughs> so I got all these names. Um, so I, I don't remember I don't remember the name of the porno that they were doing. That's like it's very blurry. I just can't see it, but I can kind of see like what a, what would have been a, a logo essentially. And then mm-hmm. it's starring first name that came up, starring Joe Sleeves. Interesting. Okay. okay. Um, I'm sorry. Starring Joe. This, these people were co-credited as like the leads. Joe Freeze and Erlwin Free. Joe Sleeves and Erlwin Freeze were the first two <laughs> that were introduced. And then on a really big title card, um, the next person that was introduced was. F-I-L Newts. Think of F-K-A Twigs, but F-I-L Newts. And then, And then the final was, and making her debut, as written out like that, and making her debut, Gun Christmas Gun Party. <laughs> that, was, that was one person, apparently. Oh, and then I woke yeah. up. Oh, my God. For, for some reason, I thought you were going to get to, like, the two guys and then be like... And then the the, the the female name would have been somebody like we know. Like it's like oh, and introducing Angela Tom Kupsick or something like that. <laughs> right, right. For no, first dude, role ever. It, it was that it was such a bizarre fucking dream. I just woke up, not like really laughing, but I was like, what was what? Gun Christmas, right. gun party. Why would that be a name? Yeah, and the fact that you could remember those like the, those names is really interesting, man. Like that's really interesting. I'm and, like, I'm really nervous as to what those. I'm really nervous as to what Joe Sleeves does in his pornos. <laughs> like, is he just is he like one of those like 
literally is he like shirtless not shirtless is he like sleeveless but like keeps the shirt on while he has sex or does he do something weird with his hands and arms yeah you know i'm not gonna lie the first thing i went to was to vacuum sealed sex where like your body is vacuum sealed in like a rubber sleeve kind of thing Ah. like that's the first thing my mind went to but i got issues obviously Uh, and Er and erlwin freeze what a fucking name erlwin is e-r-l it was e-r-l-w-y-n erlwin wow (laughs) okay i don't even know that's a name i but it is now (laughs) so like wow that is really interesting I mean, just the, the from the pH balance to the remembering of the names going across the screen is phenomenal. And there might be a time where later on down the road, like you're actually able to remember what the, the porno is because you maybe see it in another dream or something. Like yeah, it, maybe. Re, it reoccurs or some shit all, like that. All I and know is all I know is that if I if I have the opportunity to write a story that somehow some way involves pornography there is going to be someone named gun Christmas gun party. Yeah. Without a doubt. So like that is hands down, like just the perfect name for anything. I might like name our next cat that. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, I had, I had like another, there was another dream I thought about bringing up, but like no joke. I like woke up distressed when I had it. So I don't really know if I want to like talk about it again. Like it was so distressing. Oh, I understand, dude. Believe me. And if you ever want to, I'm all ears. But um, like, I because I, I go through that as well. I know what you. What yeah, you're it was about. legitimately yeah. distressing, and I'm like, you know, let's end with something funnier. Like then, yeah, <laughs> some horrible distressing. Like anyway, that's the year. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Happy New Year, guys. Yeah. All right. Um, anything else that we didn't cover in this three hours? Uh, I don't have anything else. Um, what a year 2021 was. Let's. Welcomed in 2022 with open arms. Absolutely, absolutely. Chema, uh, appreciate it, man. Uh, Happy New Year and congratulations. And uh, I am really, really excited to kick off 2020. Um, One, I mean, one just in general to get another one of these bad years behind us. But uh, for us, I think the podcast is going to have some fun stuff. Um, I mean, we always have some fun stuff. But I think think we're going to have some real interesting stuff coming up next year. Definitely, dude. I like the idea of the theme months. I'm all for it. I think it's going to be a phenomenal year next year because we got two of the worst years that we've had are now behind us. I got a lot of optimism going into next year, dude. I'm feeling good. Hopefully you have a happy new year and bring this shit in with a with a bang. Absolutely. We will. Well, we'll see you next year, everyone. Peace out. Yep. See you next year.